Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN with Kerry Davis and Matthew Rocky. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And we've got quite a show coming up. Mike Claiborne's, what, why is Claiborne going to join us at 7.30? He's not up at 7.30. We had to change around some of the guests today. So, okay. so some of the people, Is he know, okay with being up at 7.30? He said he, the, the exact response was, we'll make it work. Okay. <laughs> Panger will be with us at 9 o'clock. And then at 9.30, we're going to talk to the Cardinal beat writer from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com, Derek Gold. Looking forward to that. It's 7.01. Coming up on 7.02, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning. Kerry Davis, how you doing, man? I am doing wonderful, Randy Carriker. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's it's the holiday season. I just feel it. it. Do you do you feel it? Not really. Not yeah, yes and no. Right? No. Okay. I'm still. Okay. <laughs> I, I, it's a, today? To this weekend? It, it will get up. I promise it will get up. By the 24th. Yeah, no question. It's, how else is Santa Claus going to leave a, a, tr- a gift under the tree if the tree is not up? All right. I got to know uh, the single guy with the, the, the roommate. Does the tree go up? For the single guy with the roommate. <laughs> Did a tree go up? Does it? No. no. So Ron, I didn't do a tree. Chris, Chris Ranji used to work at this station. Now he was at KMOX. He used to just leave his tree up year out. Huge Christmas guy. Oh, man. And just let, That's not right, No, Randy. but he would put different color lights on it, apparently. And I think now he only he's got a tree and he just has one ornament. It's a Walter Payton ornament. <laughs> well, and if you're going to have one uh, yeah. now... That's a, that's a hell of an ornament to that have. That is a good one to have. Walter's sweetness was absolutely amazing. I love, the, I love the season, but I'm not a big uh, decorations guy. Okay. I think we have, I think we have like a light-up ceramic little tree on like the mantle somewhere. Okay. Uh, You're not the, sure? For the season. So guys, <laughs> on this very date in 2003, I was getting set to undergo wrist surgery okay. after falling off of a ladder. Oh, Finishing the decorations at home. See, a couple it's minutes dangerous. Because we only had one game last night. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the whole story. So I'm up, uh, my wife is working at home, and I'm up on the roof, and I'm putting up lights and all this stuff. And a couple of times during the day, I would just stop my feet. <laughs> okay? Like, like I fell off the roof. And she'd go downstairs and got it, come out and look, Randy, Randy, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Just, up here. Just, just put put lights on. So I did that a couple of times. All right. Uh, Two thirty in the afternoon. I'm still working, and she decides not decides. She has to go pick the kids up at school. <laughs> I am finishing up. Mm-hmm. I am on the driveway with that ladder, eight foot tall ladder, and I am adjusting a giant wreath, and I'm trying to get the bow just right, and. I'm on that rung of the ladder, the very top, the one that says, do not, do not stand, stand here. <laughs> You're standing <laughs> on that standing one? I'm standing there on oh, my Randy. tippy toes. Oh, right. On my tippy toes. I look down at one point, and that ladder is falling away. <laughs> oh. And I can still see that ladder in slow motion, and I can still feel myself saying, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I do not remember hitting the ground. I, I so I'm I, I kind of shake my head. You know, it's like uh, Kevin in uh, Home Alone. You shake your head, trying to get your consciousness back. And I'm wearing a big, it was an old colored Rams, you know, the the, the colors they wear now, yeah. the, the 99 colors, Rams parka. And I walk into, and I knew I'm injured, and my my face is bleeding. And I walk in, and I'm just feeling bad, and, and my wrists are a mess. And so I've got a flip phone, and I'm, I can only open it with one hand, and I'm, I press the buttons with, with one finger to call Joan. And... I said, hey, can you come home? I just fell off the ladder. <laughs> Click. She hung up. <laughs> because of what I'd done earlier in the day, right? You are the boy that cried wolf. <laughs> yep, yep. So I had to call back and I said, no, I'm, I'm kind of serious here. I fell off the ladder and my face is bleeding and my wrists are really bad. Oh, man. <laughs> so she still doesn't believe me. She gets home, pulls in the driveway. And later I hear that she had to tell the kids after she sees my bleeding face, Kids don't look. <laughs> so uh, she had to take the, uh, the the kids over to my parents' house so, so they could watch. I get to the hospital, and we go through the whole thing with the, the emergency room. And one of the nurses at one point said, so Randy, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you say your pain level is in your wrists? And I said, ah, three or four. And she laughs. <laughs> no, no, it's not a three or four. It's at least a seven or eight. And I said, okay, seven or eight. She leaves, comes back, and you know, my everything's spinning. You right. Know? And she comes back and she laughs again and she says, you're going to have to undergo surgery because both of your wrists are completely shattered. <laughs> so that happened December, I fell off December 12th of 03 and had the surgery on December 13th. And then wow. stupidly, so that was a Friday afternoon, had the surgery on Saturday, stupidly go to work on Sunday with and and then both wrists the TV both wrists oh, and man. the face was a mess. Oh. So yeah, it was but you know what? I'm lucky to be here cuz if I don't break the fall with my wrists and I hit with my face, I'm not here, yeah. right? Yes. My, but my face did hit just enough and not that it made me any uglier, <laughs> but it's uh, I, I was lucky that my my you wrists broke your, your fall hit, hit, your the, wrist. hit the driveway. Oh. I think my favorite part of the story is that your wife was not shocked at all. That your dedication to the joke, that you could no longer mess with her by stamping on the roof. Oh, so you had yeah. to take it to the logical <laughs> level of calling her on the phone <laughs> to tell her. I actually did fall. Yep. The fact that in her brain, she was like, Mm-mm, he's continuing yeah. the bit. Yep. That tells me everything I need to know about you, her, your relationship, and I love yeah. all three of these yeah. things. And by the way, just taking off a coat was excruciating. Oh. Oh. It was so anyway, that's my story. The Blues uh, were better than my story because the Blues, scoreless after one, scoreless after two, scoreless after three. Jordan Bennington. Hey, hey good job, Hey, Good job. So we get to overtime, and uh, one of the Blues veterans, guy who's competitive every night, he tries hard, Braden Shen comes through. Krug out of the zone, up to Shen on the right wing. Two on two over the line. Shen in the middle, leaves for Kyrou, shoots it, rebound, they score! Bring out the Zamboni! Braden Shen wins it for the Blues! 1-0 tonight at Enterprise Center! All right, first of all, Kerry Davis, you like a scoreless tie that goes to overtime? I like a win. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm going to start there. I like a win. I don't like an overtime loss. I don't care about the one point. Mm-hmm. Give me two. Um... Yeah, I, I am. I, Randy, I think that they played exceptionally well last night. And I think I, I, I will give us, you and I, some credit. 
because I think they listen to our show There's in the no morning question. and they took to what we said and they played with more energy. There were bodies on bodies. They were pinning men up against the boards. They were actually, it was to the point, Randy, where I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, they're, they're going to be gassed come the third period yep. because they're exerting so much energy in this first period. And it was it was all of the things that we have been asking them to do. Just do your job and do it with more effort. And they did it for an entire 60 minutes plus uh, three in the overtime, whatever that was. It was fantastic. And, and, and it's almost like it, it was interesting to me. We were watching the game and me and my fiance were watching the game. And, and after the game, Ruby just walked off. And she's yeah. like, oh, he's mad. It was like Herb I said, Brooks. I was like, yeah. no, he's not. He's probably thinking to himself, dang, if you all would just do this, every night we would win. And yep. so I, I'm sure it was it was just one of those things like we finally played an entire game. We finally played with the energy and effort that I have been begging you all to do. And look what happens. And so, you know, it, it, it was fun to watch last night because, again, it was a 0-0 zero, zero tie throughout the entire game. But to play that style, it showed me that they can play that yep. style. Don't tell me, oh, this is the new age hockey. We can't play. No, you can, and you did. And you did well on the penalty kills, even though you, had, you took some tough penalties. It was a fantastic game. And they have to come to grips with the fact that Last year, they had all the 20-goal scorers. They aren't the same team this year. Barbashev isn't the same. Uh, you don't have Parab, but Shnevich hasn't been the same You just when he's there. You just don't have the scoring, so you need to play a good, tight, defensive, tight-checking game. Here is head coach Craig Berube. It's a tough game. It's a heavy game. We knew that. It's always a heavy game with them. They're a big team. Not much room. So it was a good, it was a good hockey game. Battled, you know, competed. Heavy game all around. Heavy game is what Coach Bruby wants, and that's what he got last night. Both teams, by the way, now with 27 points. Also last night, Bruby saw his goalie get his 100th win. Well, it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, I, I you know, you go back to when he was called up and what he accomplished. And <clears throat> going forward, um, you know, he's been a solid goalie for us. And really, like, he's a blue, you know. He... He's got a lot of compete in him, a lot of fire in him. And the Blues will be off today and tomorrow, and then they'll open a Western Canada trip on Thursday, Thursday at Edmonton, Friday. They're at Calgary, so congratulations to the St. Louis Blues. Meanwhile, Monday Night Football, the Patriots over the Cardinals, 27-13. Kyler Murray injured just a minute and a half into that game. He never came back, and that means that the Cardinals have much lesser of a chance to win with Colt McCoy under center. Definitely. Um, It was, you know, anytime you get the non-contact injuries, it is uh, tough to watch. And, And they were playing on grass. I know oftentimes... A lot of players have been complaining over the last, I would say, the last six months or so, mm-hmm. really since Odell got hurt, um, about playing on natural surfaces. And and here's my theory on on uh, ACL injuries that are non-contact issues. Your body's going to do it at some point. It just it's just a matter of when. It, it doesn't matter where where you're playing. If you're on turf, if you're on grass, if you're playing pickup basketball, when your body says okay, it's ready to snap, mm-hmm. it's going to snap. And it's unfortunate for him. My concern for for the Arizona Cardinals at this point, Randy, if you had to put into his contract that he could not play so many hours of video games, what the hell do you think he's going to be doing now? Playing video games. He has no rhyme or he has no reason to be locked in to what's going on with the team. There are two different types of people when they get hurt. There are those that come to work every single day 
show up to meetings, still are a part of the team. And then there are those guys that disappear, mm-hmm. that you don't see, that you may not see for the entire year. And so you got to see which one Kyler is. Because as your starting quarterback, if he's the one that's going to disappear, whew, it's going to be hell going forward for that team. And that is – last night was one of those games where – you just look at the stats and you say, if you're a Cardinal fan, because I did this as a kid throughout the course of my childhood, leaving Bush Stadium and looking at the scoreboard, and you say, okay, well, we have more first downs than them. We outrushed them. We were right with them in yards, 328 to 323. Uh, why did we lose by two touchdowns? And you keep, keep scrolling down, you keep scrolling down, and then all of a sudden you see, oh, okay, we turned the ball over twice, they turned it over once. The Cardinals in their history, since I've been watching, have always, almost always been a team that loses the turnover battle, and it's almost inevitable that if you lose the turnover battle, you're going to lose the game. Oh, and yeah. that's, that's just such quintessential Cardinal football there. In, in any, at any level, Randy, yep. if you turn the ball over more than you get turnovers, you're, you're probably going to lose that. There, there are two things that cause you to lose a game. It's turnovers and generally a blocked punt. Mm-hmm. They, uh, the stats have always shown that if you get a punt blocked, you're probably going to lose that game. And if you turn the ball over more than the opposing team, you're going to lose. So they, they didn't take care of the football well enough. And, you know, it's, it's hard when you, uh, when you, when you have your, your starting quarterback is out for the game after three plays. You're a head coach. And I've always thought this, and I've asked other head coaches, but I'll ask you. I, I think the domain of a head coach is turnover ratio, penalties and effort the other things you put on your staff but you have to build a culture of winning the turnover battle of not committing penalties and having a team that tries hard definitely if you have uh, and and the pre-snap penalties kill you more than Mm -hmm. a post now i mean you if you are false starting or jumping off sides or a pre and post snap penalties you know uh unnecessary roughness things where you're just doing things out of character those are things you can control the the in game penalties sometimes you may hold just because the guy's better than mm-hmm. you those things you don't like but you can kind of you can accept those a little bit more um, but you're you're right Randy taking care of the penalties and and making sure you have great effort are things that you can control as a coach and if you take care of those you you can win games what's that line we stole from Coach Venturi. Oh, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You're either coaching it or you're allowing it. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up four downs from this week in the NFL on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for four downs for week 14 in the NFL. CD, First down. I have the NFC South. And, and Randy, I'm going to label this as the division that no one wants to win. Because <laughs> no one wants to win. There's not a team above 500 in the division. The, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went and took a terrible loss this past weekend um, versus the, the 49ers where – they, they were getting beat the entire game and, and finally were able to scratch across seven points. Um, right now, you're looking at a division that has 
the the Bucks leading division at leading the division at six and seven. The Carolina Panthers, who fired their coach early in the season, who are on there, who went from Baker Mayfield to Sam Darnold to PJ Walker, back to Baker Mayfield, who now they cut and now they're back to Sam Darnold. They are five and eight. The Atlanta Falcons are five and eight, who are also in the midst of going to a different quarterback mm-hmm. in Desmond Ritter. And then you have the lowly Saints, who are still somehow, some way, finding some way manageable to not even be eliminated from the playoff race because they are four and nine, only two games back of, of, of leading the division. And this is absolutely it's terrible football, Randy. It's not it's not pleasing to watch. And I could not tell you which team will come out of that division uh and win the and win the division. I, I, I'm going to erase the Saints because I don't think that that they're trying to win because they still haven't put Jameis Winston back into the game uh, and they're still going with Andy Dalton. So then that leaves us Tampa Bay Carolina and Atlanta. And of, of those three teams, I want to say that Tampa is is the lead horse, but when you watch them play week in and week out, they leave so much to be desired. And so now my question is, what do the, the Falcons get from Desmond Ritter? Is there an upgrade from Marcus Mariota with him at quarterback? And can the Carolina Panthers continue to have some form of success with Sam Darnold at quarterback and maybe take over the lead of, of this division? I have no clue who it's the division that no one wants to win. And and so they're all playing terribly. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. And I do believe you'll potentially have a, a team with a record under 500 winning that division and playing in the playoffs. I think it was Rex Ryan that said yesterday, and I, di- I, I don't disagree with him at all, with Tampa, it's not just Brady looking old. They look old. They, the, the they entire look like team. an old team. Yeah, and so I, I'm I'm with you on Tampa. I I I think the only reason they win is because it's a terrible division. I would not count on the rookie. Maybe Desmond Ritter provides that spark for Atlanta, but I do think the scary team for that division is Carolina because Sam Darnold seems to have figured something out. Something's clicked. They've got the running game with yeah. Foreman and Hubbard, yeah. right? They've they've got a def- decent offensive line, and they've got some guys that are playing really well defensively. Joe Horn's son, yep. C.D. Horn, is playing yep. really well in the defensive backfield. They can get after the quarterback a little bit with Brian Burns. So I, I like a lot of the elements that Carolina has, and Steve Wilkes is doing a pretty good job. It's a, I, I am so thrilled for him. Like I said, great man. Got a got a raw deal in Arizona a few years back where he was one and done, and hopefully this is an opportunity for him to lay down a foundation and go forward and continue to be the head coach after this season. Second down. Kerry, you might not realize it because they're 5-8, and eight, but here come the Jacksonville Jaguars under Doug Peterson. Since week 9, Trevor Lawrence, 1,362 passing yards, no interceptions to go with his 10 touchdowns. His completion percentage since week 9 of 71.8%, number one in the league. His 111.7 passer rating since week 9, second in the league. So Trevor Lawrence appears to be arriving. They traded Robinson, the running back, and gave Travis Etienne an opportunity to be their number one running back. He is regularly turning in great performances both on the ground and in the air. They found receivers in Zay Jones, who has 68 catches, Christian Kirk, who has 67, and their tight end, Evan Ingram, has 53-plus. Marvin Jones is still hanging around. And defensively, 
uh, because of what they've done in the past. They, they've got the other Josh Allen. Yeah. And then they took Walker, who hasn't been great so far, but they're able to get after the, the quarterback. The Jacksonville Jaguars aren't far away from being a pretty good team. They made the right move in hiring Doug Peterson, and it looks like the patience is paying off with the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. They are they are going in the right direction with um, with Trevor Lawrence and, and making the change from Urban Meyer, which was just a complete – I don't even have the words for what that was. More than him. a disaster, right? It, it was a dumpster <laughs> fire. It was one of the, the worst decisions and, and just not a great person. Maybe a great coach, but not a great person. And, and – Almost ruined Trevor Lawrence in his rookie year and, and what that organization was planning on doing. And so when you look at them right now, they are two games back of the Tennessee Titans. They still have a, have an opportunity to play them one more time at the end of the season. Uh, and so we'll see how how they fare if they are able to take over that lead because Tennessee doesn't look like a team that really wants to mm-hmm. win the division either. They're having troubles running the ball. They're having trouble uh, passing the ball. They, they it tends to happen when you when you trade your best receiver, <laughs> but mm-hmm. they are and then and Tennessee just fired their GM. So you know maybe Jacksonville can start to put some things together and and make a run into and have an opportunity to make it to the playoffs. I'd like to see them succeed. That'd be good for football. Third down. Randy, the San Francisco 49ers are leading the division in the, a- in the NFC uh, West. They are on their third quarterback. You know, it reminds <laughs> me of, of an Ohio State team that went through three quarterbacks and won a national championship. There are reports that this young man, Brock Purdy, who was the last pick in the NFL draft this past season, Mr. Irrelevant is what they call him, he is allegedly, maybe, potentially, the guy that can lead this franchise to another Super Bowl. And and to say that for a guy who was the third quarterback, you brought in Trey Lance, who who you drafted a few years ago. You got rid of Jimmy G. Uh, your, your thought was to get rid of him. You had to bring him back because Trey got hurt. And now you're on your third quarterback. Obviously, Debo Samuel has gone down with an ankle injury. We'll see how long he's out. But this defense, Randy, I heard earlier today, this defense has, allowed, has not allowed a rusher to have six, a 60-yard game the entire season. They... That is unfathomable that they are that good defensively and the defense is going to carry them to everything they need. You got Christian McCaffrey. You got George Kittle. You still got Brandon Ayuk. And now you have this rookie quarterback who, if you play football well, run the ball well, have a great defense, that is the recipe for a successful championship run. And the San Francisco 49ers, what they look like at the beginning of the year compared to what they look like now, it is. It seems as though this team coming out of the NFC is not uh, out of the question at all. So this is a team, obviously, that can lose a quarterback, lose another quarterback, and keep winning. I have an opinion here. It's kind of a weird one. But I think the 49ers' most important player is Nick Bosa. Hmm. He's the guy that when he's been out, they have not performed well. And he's been when he's been in there, they have performed well. They are defensively. They are. They are studs. They're and loaded. So when you when you look at what they're doing or what they're capable of doing, they had a guy choke out Tom Brady. Whether or not yeah, it was accidental, yeah. I, I, I won't say whether or not it was, but he he did. And mm-hmm. so that defense uh, under D'Amico Ryan's is is flying around. You can tell they enjoy the game and they have fun doing what they do. And and when you have a defense like that that you trust that well, that can do all of the things that get after the pass, um, get after the quarterback, make plays on the back end. And, and they've lost a couple of pieces. Mostly they lost their, their, their safety. They lost him a couple of weeks ago to an ACL. They are still playing extremely well and 
I would not be surprised if you see them and the uh, and the and the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship game somehow, some way, vying for that for that NFC uh, division. Fourth down conference. CD, we might see a third 49ers Bengals Super Bowl. Mm. Cincinnati is the hottest team in the league. Oh. They've won five in a row. Joe Burrow after a slow start, and oh by the way, without Jamar Chase, is third in the league in passing yards. He's second in the league in passing touchdowns. Their offensive line has congealed after signing those guys during yeah. the offseason. They finally come together. Their defense is still playing at a high level. They beat Kansas City a couple of weeks ago, and they just keep rolling, and there really isn't an element where you say they aren't that good. Now, granted, they beat the Browns this past week, but that's their biggest rival, and that's going to be the Browns' biggest game of the year is right. taking on the defending Super Bowl uh, participants that happen to play in their own division. When you look down the stretch, we talk about the, the tired and old Buccaneers. That's who Cincinnati has this week. Then they go to New England eminently beatable for Cincinnati. They get Buffalo at home, and they get the Ravens at home to end the season. That team, the Bengals, when the playoffs start, they're going to be battle-tested, and as long as Joe Burrow is healthy, they got Mixon back this week, they got Jamar Chase back, they're going to be a snootful, as Steve Savard would say, in the <laughs> AFC playoffs. You you look at this team, and it, it's almost... They were seemed to be ridden off early in the season. They lose two games back to back. They lost to the Steelers by three, and then they lose to the Cowboys by three. And and you kind of, I think they were ridden off because of how poorly their offensive line was playing. And as you said, they have jailed and gotten so much better up front in protecting Joe Burrow. Last week he lost Tyler Boyd, he lost T Higgins. I think Joe Mixon went down, mm-hmm. and he still he still had Jamar Chase, who was back healthy. And Jamar is a different animal. And so this team because of what they do offensively and because of how they can get after the quarterback and, and play sound defense, they do have an opportunity to, A, win the division in the, in the AFC North and head to the, to the Super Bowl once again. And just FYI for your information, Cleveland Browns, uh, just because they only have Chase and they don't have Higgins and they don't have Boyd, you still have to cover the guy downfield. That's Trenton Irwin. I mean, he, he's still an NFL player. He can't be open with nobody within 20 yards of him. You you should cover him. I mean, it makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. He's on the field. He's an yeah. eligible receiver, which means he's probably going to run a route downfield. Yeah. You might want to know where he is. I don't think you should allocate all of your defense to Jamar Chase. He's, he's pretty darn good, mm-hmm. but you should not allocate Every defensive back to him. There's one guy running down the field. Like, hey, look at me. I see you, big fella. Here he comes. And so, yeah, Cleveland do better. But that's kind of what we expect. It is the Browns. They did that against the Jets in the last two minutes earlier this season. We we don't expect much other than that. That is fine. That is four downs in the NFL. I'm 101 ESPN. Kerry, Randy, and coming up, our buddy Mike Claiborne joins us for his Tuesday visit here on The Opening Drive. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Super Bowl champ, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mike Claiborne of Claves Online joins us at 7.37 in the morning. Uh, thank you, and I apologize for our producer getting you up this early. <laughs> no, I was already up, so no sweat on that front. All right, good, good to hear. Good. Hey, uh, you were in San Diego for the winter meetings. The Cardinals come home with a catcher. What do you think? 
Well, you know, he was my second choice. You know, I think we talked countless times about Sean Murphy checking a lot of boxes uh, from a catching standpoint. But when you look at what uh, Contreras can do in the five spot in the order, uh, I see why they did it. Um, you know, now, what do you give away defensively? Well, maybe a little bit because, you know, he only caught like 73 games last year. So it's not like he's a guy that's out out there. And the most he's ever caught was 123, 133. And that was almost five years ago. So you, you may give up a little bit from, from a catching prowess, you know, behind the plate. But I think offensively it makes you a better ball club. Hey, Claves, are they uh, any any? Do you have any idea of if they're looking for anything else? Maybe another hitter, another left-handed bat, or potentially another starter. Well, starter seems to be the big issue here. Uh, I think the question is, Kerry, is there a guy out there who's better than what you already have? Now, some would say, you know, Rodon would be that guy, but at what price? Uh, and then you go to another tier of pitchers that I'm not sure is any better than what you already have on your roster. Um, you can always use another bat, um, you know, but I think you're going to have a lot of competition in spring training at virtually every position with the exception of first, third, and, and behind the plate. Uh, you look on the outfield, you're going to have four, five, six guys maybe, and they may be looking for some other another veteran. I think if I'm looking for one more thing, Kerry, it would be a little bit more experience in the bullpen uh, from a closing standpoint. I, I think now the way the game is set up, you, you basically need two guys that can close for you because you can't run Helsley out there every night. And I think we saw how ineffective he was if he went out there too many days in a row. So I think you have to find another legitimate closer. Now, where that guy comes from, that's the big question. A guy who was a Cardinal first-round draft choice who has a lot of experience is Adam Adovino, and he's still out there on the market. I don't know what the expense, what the cost would be for a guy like Adam Adovino, but that's a guy I've thought about for that role that you're talking about. And Claves, it's not just the the fact that he can pitch, but we talked to BT about this, and all those young pitchers from 06 or the young bullpen guys from 11 talk about what an advantage it is to have a veteran presence to kind of teach you the ropes down in the bullpen. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and that was one of my concerns down the stretch, uh, especially when we got to our brief stint in postseason. There was no real experience in that bullpen. I mean, there was nobody when the games really started to get on the line, somebody to sell people down and kind of prepare them on how this level of games is going to work. Uh, you know, those veterans, they kind of run out of the game because they think they're too expensive. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather have one of those guys sitting out there who can give me, you know, some innings from time to time compared to having another young arm who doesn't know what he's doing when the games are truly on the line late in the year. And by the way, Claims, I want to circle back to the, the starter because a back-of-the-rotation guy that would compete for a job here, and there would be no guarantees, Quintana, Sean Manaya are two years, $25, $26 million. Now, there's a likelihood that at some point they're going to have to start for the Cardinals, but you sign a guy like that, and it's not a guarantee that he's in your rotation. No, you're right. Um, because, you know, the other thing is you've got some guys you want to give a longer look at um, that will, that you drafted and you think may be able to give you some innings. But, you know, I think we have enough back-end rotation guys. And, you know, when you think about guys like, Where's Dakota Hudson fit? I mean, people like that, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, all right, that, that, we have that in covered. But what about when you get into late in the season and you need a guy that can go out every fifth day and give you seven innings and, and the other team says, we're going to have a problem this afternoon or this evening. We don't have that guy. Maybe it's Flaherty. I don't know. 
he's pitching in a contract year, so who knows what what his situation will be. But you know, you kind of like to have a little bit more on paper than what you have now. Hey, Clays, what are your thoughts on Jordan Hicks? Uh, to me, he seems like a guy that has immense uh, an immense amount of talent, um, and and seems to be in in when I watch him, seems to feel like he's either a starter or a closer, and not just one of those uh, late inning type of guys. What are your thoughts on him and, and where he could end up this year? What he could end up doing well, for them? You know, Kerry, that's the one guy that nobody talks mm-hmm. about, and I think that we probably because he's been hurt so much. But, you know, he's, what, 25, maybe yep, 26, 26 that yep. much. And he's in the walk year, too. So here's a guy that I think the Cardinals, they could sign him for two years or 12. Uh, I just think a guy like that, his talent level, when he's right, is something that you don't have anywhere else in your organization. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who's healthy. He's gone through an offseason with no rehabs or anything like that. He's working out. And physically, he might be the strongest guy on the team. I mean, this guy's put together unlike anybody you've ever seen. And I think now he's gone from being a thrower to a pitcher. And I'm anxious to see what he looks like this year. And, Mike, he better be because he's one of those guys that with the pitch clock, he's taken 25, 30 seconds for his arm to recover after throwing 100 so that the next pitch he can pitch at max effort at 100. I'm interested to see when he gets four, five, six pitches into an outing, and he's got to do it every 15 seconds, what those fourth, fifth, six pitches look like. Yeah, that's a good point. You might want to uh, find out what uh, Giovanni Gallegos is going to do about that, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, I right. Mean, here's a guy that's like, I think he was 26 to 28 seconds between pitches. Uh, I think, Randy, that's, I think the pitch clock for relievers is going to be a bigger game changer than they will be for starters. Because as you just mentioned, these relievers, they want to load up and give you max effort every pitch. Uh, They're going to have to figure out how to throw another pitch or two or three in order to be able to be consistent and and be effective. So uh, I'm anxious to see it. I hope some of these guys are somewhere right now with a clock in their backyard trying to figure out how I can throw more pitches. Because they're going to be in for a rude awakening, especially – I think the umpires will give some guys some grace time, especially in spring training. But when they put the clamp down on this thing, man, I guarantee you there are going to be some career changes out there. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mike, what do we got on Claves Online right now? Well, we're going to do a little hockey this week. Uh, Kevin Weeks is scheduled to join us later in the week along with Alex Ferrario. We're going to get back involved with him with the Ferrario faceoff. Uh, the two-man game with Rammer and uh, Matt Rocchio comes your way later this week. I will do my lunch with Claves and Joe starting at high noon this afternoon, and uh, we will cover a, a myriad of things. So we've got those things that starting, as you well know, Randy. You just never know who's going to show up on ClavesOnline.com. Oh, and we have the Dr. Rick's podcast as well. Hey, Claves, I saw that Howard Richards was in uh, Dallas with all of his former teammates. He didn't. He didn't ask you for the. He didn't invite you. He didn't bring you. Bring you along with him. Well, I think it was a cowboy only thing, okay. which counts me out. But it was a really cool thing. <laughs> it was really cool. I, the, I thought the one picture that I got the biggest kick out of: Roger Starback, Drew Pearson, and uh, Howard, the original Hail Mary uh, combo of Pearson and Starback, uh, two Hall of Famers. And uh, Howard's been very fortunate to uh, be able to play for that organization and stay in touch. Their, their alumni does a really good job of keeping guys informed and keeping keeping guys engaged with uh, things they do now after their careers have been over. Mike, do you agree with me that if it wasn't for an America's team call, 
Roy Green, offensive pass interference, 1984 here against the Cowboys on a touchdown, by the way. The what maybe one of the worst calls in the history of the NFL. And I will argue to my grave that if that call is not made and the Cardinals score that touchdown, they don't leave St. Louis. They make the playoffs. And I think an offensive pass interference call the, the back judge his name was Pat Millette. Uh, rest, maybe not in peace. He's, he's passed away, but I think that was the call that we sealed just the want fate. Rest, and we still not. We still don't have care of it being peace with this. Right, right. I hope he's resting. But you're right, Randy. I think there's two plays: that play and the Neil O'Donohue missed field goal in Washington. Yep, yep. If you win, if you win, make those two plays. This team might still be here, and maybe we would have won a Super. Well, we would have had to have won a Super Bowl by now, right. but. Point being, those were the little things on why this, why that team was just on the cusp of having some legitimate success and having greater fan interest, hence the fact maybe a stadium would have been built. And part of it is because of the league's infatuation with the Cowboys and, and being America's oh, team and getting every call. That, this, that, that thing back then was just, it was embarrassing. Yeah. It really was. It, it was embarrassing. And, you know, you either loved them or you hated them. But, you know, you had a good reason to not like them because of the fact that these, these, the league bent over backwards to make sure that they were in the, uh, the focal point of the, of the league itself. And it, it was just, it, it, was, it, was, it was embarrassing. Uh, and, you know, they kind of, you remember when they had the battles between them and the 49ers? Yep. And the, I can tell you some underhanded things the 49ers did to get certain people off the field on the, on the, when they played the Cowboys on the schedule. I mean, there's so many diabolical things. And, Kerry, you, you probably have heard some of those stories when you mm-hmm. played in the league about how teams had it in for another team and the league would look the other way because they, they kind of love that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, and, and you know what, though, in all honesty, every league's got somebody. Yeah, like they that. do. You're, that's right. Every sport's got a league uh, team like that that you don't like and you always wonder what they're thinking in New York or how they allow this to happen. Hey, Clay's real quickly, we were talking earlier about some of the fantastic players we had seen in college, and Rock mentioned Julio Jones. For me, it was Michael Vick, but it made me think about uh, high school and, and who was the best basketball player you ever saw in St. Louis. My my For me, it was Ronnie Fields when him and Kevin Garnett came here for the shootout. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 was, he was different. Uh, who was the best high school player you ever saw play basketball? In the country or locally? Here, well, in St. Louis. When they, in St. Louis, whether they were coming to visit or, or they were from St. Louis. Um, Kenny Anderson. Uh, me mm. too. Me too. He he came into St. Louis. <laughs> he had, I, I, we were doing the uh, uh, shootout, and I happened to be working with Jack Buck, the great Jack Buck. And so he was like, well, what do you think of these guys? And I said, well, they got one guy over here. He's pretty good. And he had three points at the half, and Jack just said, so much for that guy. He should go back to New York. <laughs> he, he gave I know I won't mention the player's name, but he gave the guy who was guarding him thirty eight in the second half. Oh. And this is a high school game, yeah. okay? Oh. I mean, we're not talking about an NBA game or a college game. We're talking about high school pre three point shot. Wow. All right. So yeah, he's the best player I I've ever seen at that level. I mean, he just took over against a really, really good local team that he was playing against. Man among boys, no doubt about it. Claves, we always love talking to you. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have a great day, and we will uh, talk to you soon. Sooner than you think. All right, fellas, have a great day. <laughs> Thanks, Claves. Mike Claiborne, and check out all of the socials with Claves Online and uh, everything that's going on with Claves Online. Take it or leave it is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Text 65780 to participate in Take It or Leave It with Carrie Davis, Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. And CD, Take It or Leave It, the fate of a guaranteed contract for Lamar Jackson was sealed last night, 2,277 miles away from Baltimore in Phoenix when Kyler Murray went down with his knee injury. Oh, take it. He's going to get, yeah. There's uh, no more <laughs> no more guaranteed contract for Lamar. You, 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 uh, my, I think it sealed it in the other way. Well, uh, uh, He's going to get. He, he he's not getting a guarantee. Not 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 he's, not to the number that he wants. But no, like I, I said, mean, he, he wants a Deshaun want, yeah, guarantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna, but he is going to get. I think he's going to fran- get a franchise tag yeah. next year and pop- probably the year after. So he's going to make forty. 50, 60, yeah. 70 million over the next couple of years. And it might sound cold, but like you said, he's going to make $80 million over the next two years. If I'm the Ravens, there's no way I'm going guaranteed long-term deal because he's hurt now. Well, yeah. And then I see what happens yeah. to Kyler Murray, and I know that my guy's a running quarterback. I know he's going to get hurt. Yeah. Well, I will. I, I want to see what he looks like under a new offensive regime, What what he's able to do if he gets a new coordinator mm-hmm. that that maybe opens up and gets him a playmaker. I know Rashad Bateman is hurt. Uh, you brought in uh, Deshaun Jackson, who is 30-whatever. Yeah. Um, but that can't be your number one receiver. Well, and one of the issues, and Kurt Warner, in his great breakdowns of passing games, has laid out how little of the field they use. They have receivers yeah. that are way too close to each other, yep. and it's just not a very spread out or very efficient offense. There, there, there's not enough spacing and not enough windows for the receivers to get into. Yeah. And I, I was watching the same thing. I've seen uh, Dan Orzlowski and, and Ryan Clark break down plays where they say this is a terrible route combination. These two people, if you got two people in the same place, somebody's wrong yeah. or the route combination is just a disaster. So uh, they got to figure something out as far as getting guys open and finding ways to get him able to to find guys downfield. Uh, Randy, uh, we talked about it earlier. Brock Purdy is is doing some spectacular things in his, in his first start and in, in his first game and coming in after uh, Garoppolo got hurt. Take it or leave it. If Brock Purdy leads them to the Super Bowl and wins, Trey Lance and Jimmy G are no longer the quarterbacks at San, for the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to take uh, that. I'm going to take that. But the only thing you got to do is get the ball into the hands of the playmakers, right? Brock Purdy can be a guy that you win with, not because yeah. of. And I believe if he does that, that they'll have enough confidence that they'll be able to keep their playmakers around, that he'll be the guy. He makes it to the Super Bowl but doesn't win. Still the guy. Even though you spent all of the things you spent to get Trey Lance. Right. But going into next season now, things could change, but you can't have a Super Bowl quarterback and then put him on the bench. I don't think you can. Do you? I don't think so either. But the 49ers have had a history. They they know they've had some quarterback mm-hmm. uh drama in their in their history of, of that organization with Joe, Joe Montana and Steve Young. They 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 those two guys were different, but you know. They've had some 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 times trying to figure out who should be the lead guy. By the way, it'd be interesting to find out. Maybe Nick Wagner knows if 
Trey Lance was really the guy that they traded up for. Because remember when the trade was made, we heard that they were trading up for Mac Jones? Oh, yeah. So and, I, I and wonder, ended up getting Trey. Yeah, I wonder if Trey Lance was really Shanahan's guy. We'll have to ask. We'll, we'll know about that. sooner rather than later. That's true. If Brock Purdy plays hey, well. This is going to be this. <laughs> this is RG three and Kirk Cousins all over it, it, again. It really is. It really is. Yep. Uh, Matthew, what do you got? All right, all right. Take it or leave it. Kyler Murray won't be back next year for the Cardinals. Leave it. I'll leave it. He's he under just, contract. He just signed a new contract. Two hundred thirty-five million now, guaranteed. Cliff Kingsbury may not. It, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounded as though. When when he was getting interviewed after the first quarter, Cliff Kingsbury sounded like he was getting choked up speaking about yeah, Kyler yeah, Murray. Yeah. And, and I wonder if it was because he was really painting for Kyler Murray or if he was like, oh, this is going to be good for me. <laughs> yeah. Take it or leave it, though. If you are Cliff Kingsbury and you get fired by the Cardinals, you just hang out in that house for a couple of years. No doubt. Take it. Where you got to go? You got They got to pay you to go yeah. away. You don't have to do anything. Oh, that house is unbelievable. Man, man come on. Uh, by the way, also, in the, in the Lamar Jackson conversation, it reminded me just another time of Kerry being like, I should have played. A different sport. If you don't, if you, it, it, we don't have those conversations about guaranteed contracts with 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 anything but uh, football anymore. Everybody else is just like, no, sign that one way or another. You're gonna find that money. <laughs> Got to get to it. <laughs> Got to get to those those guaranteed contracts. Baseball, basketball—that's the good stuff right there. Yes, it is. Take it or leave it. The Buffalo Bills are finally, finally gonna win the Super Bowl. I'm gonna have to leave. It. Leave Ouch. it. Why do you hate Tim Russert? I love the I, I I was I really I would I loved when the Bills were going on their run like they had so many so many guys I was heartbroken when Scott Norwood missed that field goal I was I was you know it was it was heartbreaking to watch the Cowboys beat up on the, on the Bills in the manner that they yeah. did you know it, it, the 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 best memory you have from one of those Bills Super Bowls versus the Cowboys is Don Beebe chasing down mm-hmm. Leon Lett. Yeah. That's all you got. And so to go four straight times, I was I was dis- I was a little disappointed that they were not able to win. With all of that being said, they're not winning it this year either. Even though they right now have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, I think A they miss Brian Dable a lot, and B, I don't think right now that even though they beat Kansas City, um I don't think they're as good as the Chiefs or the Bengals. Their last few games, they still have. They got to go. They play the Dolphins at home. That's a win. They got to go to Chicago to win, and then they have to go to Cincinnati, and mm-hmm. then they finish at home versus the Patriots. Okay, so they should win three of those. Probably lose to the Bengals. Yeah, and that would put them. If the Bengals went out, they'll have uh, matching records. Right, and the Bengals should maybe have the tiebreaker if yeah. they if they well, beat them. Bengals would have beat them. Yeah, yeah. So eh, see how it goes. Take it or leave it. <laughs> wow, take it or leave it. Both in the last year of their contract, the Cardinals trade and then extend Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito. I'm going to leave that. Hey, it, do you it, not want to have a farm system? Well, and I mean, the, the Cardinals the appreciate is, having one. Is my point. If if you're the Cardinals. And it's at the trade deadline. It's July 31st. And you have spent all this time investing in Mason Wynn. Mm-hmm. Why would you trade him then? And not have the knowledge that you could extend Anderson. Yeah. But, yeah, that's... You got to think three and five... You got to think in yeah. three and five-year terms. You can't just be yeah. thinking, well, he's, it's an expiring contract, but to make the move now. You got to think in, in, in longer terms than that. If you, well, if you, I mean, listen. If you if you just want to be playing MLB the show, that's fine. But yeah. <laughs> if you want to be the realistic, you have well, to at least in one way, shape, or form try to think 
in some kind of scope how the actual team has to think. Well, which is three, and five, think about the individuals. Years. If you are, if you're, if you've been in Major League Baseball six, seven years, and you get traded, and you're two months away from free agency, and the team that traded for you cannot put a qualifying offer on, so you are a free free agent. Yeah. Why would you re-sign with the team that you're with? Why, you're gonna, why not go into free agency? You're going to go into free agency and try to get try to get the most money yeah. you can. Also, he, he also he's a this is like it's, it's not to the level of John Carl Stanton, but he's a young guy who's been playing in Chicago his entire career. I can't imagine his his goal at like 27, 28 is to sign a, a contract that locks no. him into St. Louis. I'm just, I'm just sometimes you know you got to think with some of these young players and where they come up, where they want to be playing their next six, seven years. Some you know market market does actually matter. Yep. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals need to stop looking at the Brewers and the Cubs as their rivals and focus more on the bigger teams in the Major League Baseball like L.A., San Diego, Atlanta, New York, and Philly. Now you've got a hundred year rivalry with the Cubs. I don't think you look away from that. <laughs> Ever. But I think the schedule this year is going to allow you to to open up and have, you're not going to be playing them as many times as you have in the past. So you will be comparing yourself to, to the other franchises, the other better franchises, mm-hmm. as opposed to just what's going on in the NL Central. Yep. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, the Blues win one not, nothing over the Predators last night in overtime, but how important was that win really? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Eight oh nine in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we have sad breaking news. Mike Leach, the head coach at Mississippi State, the developer of the air raid offense, one of the most entertaining people in sports, has passed away at the age of 61. Leach suffered a massive heart attack at his home on Sunday and apparently had been in a coma and uh, was in really bad shape for the 24 hours after the heart attack and and carry one of the great offensive minds in the history of football. As I said, one of the really entertaining people to talk to and a, a loss for the sports world, for the SEC, for Mississippi State, and I think for every sports fan, too. Yeah, I think when you think about Mike Leach, obviously the the football coach comes to mind, but he was also, as you said, just a fantastic interviewer. When you when you would, He would always have quick, uh, quick things to say and, and, and very uh, good with his interviews and, and always outside-of-the-box thinking, things that you would make you laugh and make you really think about, oh, what is going on in this guy's mind? But it was, um, you know, he was, it was always fun situations. So so, you know, my condolences to his family, to the Mississippi State football staff and, and team and all of those guys associated with, with Mississippi State football. And, and it's a tough situation. And, you know, my condolences to all of them. And relatively young at the age of 61. So make sure that uh, if your doctor wants you to do a physical every year, you get in and do the physical every year. Indeed. So Mike Leach passing away at the age of 61. By the way, his Mississippi State team playing Illinois in the ReliaQuest yeah. Bowl. Yeah. And I'm sure that uh, that group of players will play with a heavy heart. Yep, they will. And it, it's tough, you know, losing losing your head coach is a is a tough deal. Uh, and and I'm sure that those young men will will find a way to to 
finish the the deal that they started this season because I know that's what he would want them to do. Um, but you know, it's going to be a tough situation for that program to figure out you know how to go forward uh, without without him being there with them. So if you're just tuning in, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach passing away at the age of 61. Meanwhile, the Blues came away with a one nothing overtime victory over the Nashville Predators last night. And Kerry, I'm really glad that the Blues won. They need all the wins, all the points that they can get. But they were kind of playing a mirror image of themselves, weren't they? In yeah. Nashville, they're they're pretty much the same team. They they have the same amount of points now. Yeah, I was uh, when they played the Blues, when the Predators and the Blues played earlier this season. It was frustrating for me because I felt like the Preds really took it to them, and they they the, the, the Blues did not have any fight back. When I watched that game last night from the from the moment the puck dropped in the first period, this team was on fire. Speaking of the Blues, they were they were showing effort, they were showing energy, they were putting bodies on bodies. They were really getting after guys and making sure that they did their job and if you're Craig Berube, we talked about Coach Venturi saying you're either coaching it or you're allowing mm-hmm. it. He has been allowing guys to to not perform at their best because they were still getting time on the ice. Last night, he was showing what he was coaching because those guys gave great effort. They did not stop the fight. As I said, Randy, I thought that this team was going to be so gassed come the third period by how much effort and energy they were giving in that first period. And so if you play this way, if you play with this type of energy, this type of effort every single night, it just shows you what you can do. And, and Bennington did a great job, did an outstanding job. He took a puck off the wrist. I thought he was going to be – I don't mm-hmm. know. I was going to ask you this. How is that not interference on the goalie? Because he's in the crease, and the the, the Preds player did come by and kind of swipe his hand, which caused his glove to go downward and not be up, which allowed him to get hit you know, right above the wrist or right on the wrist. How is that not interference? Well – it's not because it's incompetent officiating. Okay, no, I just thought maybe I was maybe I was unaware of some rules, or it's almost like they didn't know he bumped into him. You can't interfere with the goalie's attempt to make a save. I, I didn't think you could. Yeah, yeah, I mean he he's in his crease and he got bumped, which caused his hand to go mm-hmm. down, which caused him to get hit in the wrist. And I was trying to figure out, you know, how, how are we allowing that to happen? And then I was watching, you know, I told you this earlier. Peter Forsberg is 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 amazing out there. He's he's fifty five years. <laughs> Yeah. Old, that's Philip. Oh, that's Philip Forsberg. Right. I was like, Peter Forsberg still playing? Phillip, How old is he? <laughs> and by the way, Philip Phillips get up there too. He, he's had a great run with Nashville. The Blues have played 122 minutes and 31 seconds of hockey over the last couple of days. Sunday against Colorado, last night against Nashville, and allowed a total of three goals. They were all to the the Avalanche, and all, by the way, within the space of, at least in game time, 38 seconds. Yeah, yeah. So Craig, Coach Craig Bruby was asked about the team tightening up its defense. I thought we played a, you know, a checking game. You know, we were we gave up the one odd man rush, I thought, but overall... You know, we were tight, we were reloading, D were tight, and then we were, we were heavy around our net, which you had to be. And 25 shots against is acceptable. And, and the Blues, they're never going to get a bunch of shots. But like Coach said, it was a good, tight checking game, and they were tight on the puck, and they kind of smothered Nashville. They didn't give Nashville many really great opportunities. And for me, I also I was pleased with the penalty kill. They they mm-hmm. did not allow. I think they only allowed a couple of shots on goal during those penalties. And that's one of the things. One of the reasons why I feel like they have been afraid to play this heavy game that Barubi has been talking about is because of their penalty kill. How how they have not been able to kill those penalties. And last night they did an outstanding job. They really played the game that we have been asking and wanting to see. And 
if, if, if this is the, the Randy, when you're a coach, these are the things that frustrate you so much because you're like. I told you, Baruby seemed like he just stormed off after the yeah. game. Like, I'm out of here. These guys, if you just do <laughs> what I ask you to do, I'm not making – I think sometimes players think you're just making things up. Like, I ask my players, do y'all – you know, I became a coach because I watched a lot of YouTube videos. I think that's what some <laughs> of you all think. I was just watching YouTube one day and said, you know, that looks like a fun job. I'm going to go be a head football coach at a high school. And I think that's what some of my kids think. That's how I learned the game. As opposed to actually playing at every level and being able to explain it in detail how to do the job. I'm telling you how to be successful, yet you still want to try it a different way and it doesn't work. And I think when Barubi walked off, he was just like, if they do what I ask them to do, we wouldn't be sitting here under 500. We would be a much better team. And, and they can be. That was the best game I think that they've played all mm-hmm. season, and and it came out with a win. And so, Barubi's like, "Ah, the hell with this! I'm out of here. I, I'll talk to you." And he, he's like, "Ah, what are you doing? Thank you, but come on, do it every night. Let's do it in Edmonton on Thursday." That's Carrie. I'm Randy. That's today's fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy for USC, but what should we expect from his future? Well, there are some clues. That's next on 101 ESPN. The women lose their mind. Your fiance is going to lose her mind. Your mother-in-law is going to lose her mind. Your mom is going to lose her mind. Several of your sisters and uh, female relatives are going to lose their mind. Um, and in the end, you'll wish you eloped. Uh, you need to find um, excuses uh, that they'll buy uh, to be as far out of harm's way as you possibly can. First of all, what kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he? does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? The Bruin, definitely formidable. Another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. It's unless we're going to go with a bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. A duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The 2017 Heisman Trophy winner was Baker Mayfield, coached by Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. 2018, Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma, coached by Lincoln Riley. Since then, Joe Burrow, Devontae Smith, Bryce Young, and this year, Caleb Williams became the third Lincoln Riley coached quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy in six years. He's obviously very young. He doesn't become eligible for the draft until after next season. But, Kerry, I, I wonder if NFL scouts will take a look at what's transpired with both Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and they'll label K- Caleb Williams because of who the coach was, what the system was, and the fact that he won the Heisman Trophy under Lincoln Riley. Do you think that you can predict a quarterback's future because of the system that he played in in college and the coach that he played for in college? I don't know that you can predict their NFL success. I, also in that on that list was Jalen Hurts under Lincoln Riley, who mm-hmm. finished second right. in uh, 2019. And so 
Jalen Hurts is playing pretty well also. I, I think it's more of a, a offensive system, what they do and how they get the ball out of their quarterback's hands quickly. And and if you are a quarterback in high school, a an elite quarterback, one of the top-tier quarterbacks, you have to be looking at a Lincoln-Riley-led program to say, hey, that's where I want to go. That's the offense I want to play in. Now, take it to understand, defensively, you're probably going to suffer at times, and you may end up being one of those elite teams and, and get ran out of the college playoffs or get ran out of your 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 uh, conference championship because at those are, that's when – Teams that play good defense or play uh, are more physical are going to have a, a better chance against you. But if you are a guy looking for an opportunity to make it to the NFL, to be in the Heisman running, and you're a quarterback, you got to look at Lincoln Riley and say that's that's the guy I want to play for. Next year they'll have a freshman named Malachi Nelson, number one recruit who came out. And even if you do lose at some point, you're still going to be leading your team to a bunch of points. Yes. And you're going to be throwing the daylights out of yep. the ball. And I, I'm with you on that front. I, I I just wonder how NFL scouts go. They, they haven't become afraid of Ohio State quarterbacks, for example. I don't know yet. why. <laughs> but I, I don't think that because of Baker Mayfield, who I think we tend to forget that Baker Mayfield did go 11-5 and and led Cleveland to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He was put into some bad circumstances. Kyler Murray lands in a place, and by the way, he's little, and you look now, maybe Lincoln Riley deserves more credit for what I, what he got out of Kyler Murray uh, than what uh, what he gets. But Kyler Murray is a, a guy who still led them to a lot of success and a lot of points, and he was the best college player, maybe not the best pro player. But I'm with you. I think if I were, if I had a son that was a, college, a high school quarterback and he was being recruited by Lincoln Riley, there's no way that I want him to go anywhere else at this stage but USC. Do you think that that Caleb Williams has the best chance? I, I know Lamar finished third after he won. Um, and and I, and I think a few other people. C.J. Stroud finished third mm-hmm. two years in a row. Do you think he has the best chance to potentially be a repeat winner since the first since 1974-75 with Archie Griffin? He does have, uh, I, I would say. Uh, the one guy that I thought could do there there were actually a couple, both Tebow and, and uh, Bradford. I gave them better opportunities than Johnny Manziel. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the talent that USC has, and the talent that Riley is bringing in, and what we know Caleb Williams is capable of, and he knows the offense, I would say that because they're not losing an awful lot, and what they are losing they'll replace with just as effective players, yeah, I would say that he's got as good a chance, if not better chance, than anybody to win the Heisman Trophy a second time. And and so if you win the Heisman twice, (laughs) you've already won it once, you've proven yourself to be what some people believe the best player in, in, in college football, I think Caleb, I looked at his. He's, he's only six one. I thought he's a little. He looks taller than six one. He looks six three, six four ish, but he's only six one. Um, but I think even even with that being said, Baker Mayfield is not a, a huge guy. Obviously, Kyler Kyler Murray is not a huge guy. But what Lincoln Riley does with this offense, and if he has a chance to play just as well, stay injury free, and go do it again, he will be one of the top quarterbacks taken. And and he does not feel like uh, a, a guy that you. Like with, with Kyler, you know he had a little bit of a luggage that came with him mm-hmm. because he transferred from Texas A&M and he had kind of this background. Same thing with Baker. Now, all all three of those guys are transfer quarterbacks. Really, all four of those guys are transfer quarterbacks now that I'm thinking about it with Jalen Hurts as well. But 
I don't feel like there's the baggage with Jalen Hurst that there that there was with those two, right. and I don't feel like there's much baggage with Caleb Williams right now, um, and which may lead to may more stability for a franchise when you're drafting him as a quarterback. Now you never know what the height of an NFL player is, right? Or a, col- no, or a college? No, player. I was you six never. feet on my on my uh, college. And, uh, and your real height program, is program five ten. Yeah, so there I you was go. Definitely six feet. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is listed at 6'2". Williams is listed at 6'1". Yeah. If Williams is just an inch shorter than mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, I'm fine with that. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I, I, by the way, Kurt Warner is listed at 6'2", but I'm taller than Kurt Warner. I'm 6'2", and I'm I'm an inch taller than Kurt. So See, Kurt's I thought 6'1". Kurt was about 6'3". Yeah, he's, uh, I, I'm uh, I'm an inch taller than Kurt. Okay. Yeah, so... It's never, it's never, you don't get the accurate height until they go to the combine, the, the meat market, right. when they, when they, you know, have those guys. Or you stand next to them. That, that helps too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, when we saw uh, Breeze and Chase Daniel, right? Breeze, and so I stood next to, to Chase when he was at Mizzou. So I got an idea of how, how, how tall Breeze was because mm-hmm. they're, they're identical. They're right, the, right, the exact right. same height. Yeah. So. They were both 5'11". Yeah. This is amazing to me. Um, Mahomes is listed at exactly 6'2", and his pre-draft and his, and his combine numbers, mm-hmm. pro football reference, 6'3". Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. love that. There's literally a place where you can where you well, can prove that he's not 6'3". The Rams. <laughs> maybe maybe he's him. grown since then. Yeah. He, okay. was, he was young. Yep. The but Rams. Also, if he's 6'2", there is no way that Caleb Williams is 6'1". Caleb looks taller than 6'1". Yeah. But, but Pat Mahomes looks, looks taller than 6'2", as well, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, my, my, my perspective, I feel like, if because, like, I think they're both, I, they both look taller than that, so I feel like maybe Caleb Williams might be an even 6'. Here in St. Louis, Charlie Army, the personnel director for The Greatest Show on Turf, had a rule that nobody was less than 6 feet. There you go. And so... Uh, London Fletcher actually had to go to the PR people and say, I'm not six foot, I'm 5'10". Put me down at 5'10". <laughs> and by the way, Marshall Falk's probably Marshall, what, 5'8", 5'9"? Yeah, nine? He's, not, he's not a tall, he's not a tall fella. No. Yeah, he's, yeah not at all. So but, I, I, I would, if I were emotionally attached to an NFL team and after next season they took Caleb Williams, I think I would like it. Can I give some advice to some college coaches that may be driving through St. Louis right now? Sure. You don't have to have a six foot player to, to have a good football player. Some of you all have no clue what uh you know you can have a guy that's five ten that is a stud and a six foot guy that is not so you know just look at the film I I don't know film right. tells everything you need to know Carrie. generally speaking if you're a young football coach <laughs> driving through St Louis or if you're listening on the app I've got some advice for you okay Google or just YouTube a guy named Barry Sanders please okay. do Barry Sanders who got two offers to go to college. One from Wichita State. He was from Wichita. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to stay at home. And one from Oklahoma State. He went there and did okay. Next, after that, a little bit more homework for you. YouTube a guy named Marshall Falk, who got one offer to play running back in college. He wanted to play running back. Everybody wanted to play cornerback. Got one offer to play running back in college. That was from San Diego State. And he wound up, he's fun to watch on the YouTube. He's, so, he's, he's actually very fun to watch on the YouTube. Yeah. So we call it guys. the YouTube. Yep. Barry Sanders, okay, B-A-R-R-Y-S-A-N-D-E-R-S, and Marshall Falk, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, Falk, F-A-U-L-K. They're, they're, and they, they both didn't get much of an opportunity from the, the college coaches. And some people don't know what the hell they're doing, Randy. Yep. I'm just saying. True. <laughs> saying. Yep. The fight is next. Do you got a fighter for us? Uh, yes, we do. Okay, good. We got a fighter, so we'll have the fight next on 101 ESPN. You're 
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the Welcome back to the opening drive. I am Kerry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. And Rock, we uh, we we Randy has done pretty well this week. He, we um, you haven't stumped him too too badly on any questions. I think this he today may you may have one or he, two. He got it completely right, but he did not like my uh, my receiving and rushing touchdowns question at the end of yesterday. So hopefully, hopefully, nah, hopefully, we, don't yeah, any, hopefully yeah. we don't have any of those today. Yeah, he, he did not like he he. There was usually a question or two that. No, I don't want to say bothers <laughs> him. But two. There's four questions, Gary. If he's bothered by two of them, 25 I'm not doing 50%. If he's bothered by if two he's of them, by I'm two not of doing them, a good job. That means you're doing an outstanding job, Rand- Carrie, if you played 36 snaps <laughs> and you bored, and you sucked on 18 of them, how was, how was film going to do for you that next day? It was day? not going to be I'm great. I'm just saying. <laughs> I appreciate you trying to help me out here, but that film session would I'm not go well. You, Our fighter today is Brad. Brad, how are you doing this morning? Hey, good morning, Kerry. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing wonderful. Are you ready for the fight? I'm ready to go, man. Good mood. The Blues won last night. It's always a good mood when they win. All right, Brad, here we Absolutely. go. <laughs> On this day in 1956, the Brooklyn Dodgers attempted to finalize a trade of Jackie Robinson. Robinson would retire instead of being traded, never playing for this team. Which NL club was it? The Cincinnati Reds, the Pittsburgh Pirates, or the New York Giants? The New York Giants. Which NFL franchise collected the most pre-Super Bowl NFL championships? Was it the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, or the New York Football Giants? Green Bay Packers. All right, Brad. Jordan Bennington won his 100th career NHL game last night in his 184th start, becoming the sixth fastest in the NHL history and second in Blues history. Who was the only Blues goalie to get there quicker to start their Blues slash NHL career? Was it Jake Allen, Curtis Joseph, or Mike Leute? Curtis Joseph. With Yachty's retirement, which active MLB catcher currently has the most gold gloves? Is that JT Realmuto, Sean Murphy, or Salvatore Perez? Realmuto. All right, we'll double-check the score, and we will bring in Mr. Randy Carricker. Brad, how you feeling? Hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, no, this is still me. Randy's not in yet. <laughs> I said, how are you feeling? Oh, all right. <laughs> Oh, I, I, like I always do when you go against Randy, it's a flip of a coin, and you just hope he has a bad day. Well, I'll tell you what, he did not come in. He doesn't have any energy source other than green grapes. But I don't, well, I don't right. see any. Oh, oh, he brought out his propel. He I had another propel. No he had another propel. Yeah, no Dr. Pepper, but he did have a propel to fuel that mind of his. Randy, say hello to Brad. Brad. Brad, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing well, sir. I'm glad you're doing well. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Hey, you guys are great. I love to listen. Thank you. All right, Randy, you ready to roll? Ready. All right, on this day in 1956, the Brooklyn Dodgers attempted to finalize a trade of Jackie Robinson. Robinson would retire instead of being traded, never playing for this team. Which NL club was it? 
I believe that it was the New York baseball Giants. They had not moved to San Francisco yet. I'm going to go with the New York Giants. Which NFL franchise collected the most pre-Super Bowl NFL championships? I believe, thanks to Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr, that it was the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go with the Packers there. All right, Randy. Jordan Bennington won his 100th career NHL game last night in his 184th start, becoming the sixth fastest in NHL history and second in Blues history. Who is the only Blues goalie to get there quicker to start their Blues slash NHL career? First of all, are you surprised that that's the sixth fastest? That is. I am surprised about that. I am surprised by that, too. Because he seems to have all of the... Blues like fastest and, and best records. I'm going to go with Brian Elliott, Moose, whom I have a dog named after too. So that's an emotional choice as much as anything <laughs> on my part. Fair enough. With Yachty's retirement, which active MLB catcher currently has the most gold gloves at the position? Okay, we're at m- most in the majors. Okay, Salvi Perez has been around a while. Um, um, Jacob Sullivan has one. Dodgers, Padres. Um, Buster, Buster Posey's retired. Um, I guess I'll do the lifeline here. Is it JT Realmuto, Sean Murphy, or Salvatore Perez? Okay, I'm going to go with Salvi. I, I don't. I, Murphy has one or two. And a. Obviously, Real Muto was playing here in the same league as Yachty. Um, and I think Tucker Barnhart won one while well, he, he's been playing. Really good. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Salvi Perez. Some consternation there from Randy Carricker on number four. It was a close one today. I'll say this right now. It came down to the last question for both of our fighters on who the winner of today's fight would be. So did Brad get a little early week win here over Randy, or did Megamind slowly but surely work his way through that final one and seal another win here to start the week? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by Mobile On The Run. Join the On The Run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Just win, baby. There it is. Randy Carricker gets your win 3-2 to two over Brad. That was a close one, Brad. Randy just got you on that last one, the gold gloves with the catchers. Let's go through all the answers today. On this day in 1956, the Brooklyn Dodgers attempted to finalize the trade of Jackie Robinson, and it was to their arch rivals, and Robinson was not having it. Of course, that was the New York baseball Giants, which NFL franchise collected the most pre-Super Bowl NFL championships. It was the Green Bay Packers. They collected 11. Chicago Bears close with Eight, obviously, since you had some Super Bowls there, the uh, extension gets a little bit further. No offense to the Chicago Bears. No, you could offend them. 
There's some consternation <laughs> in the text line here, but I was going off a NHL.com stat. Jordan Bennington won his 11th, 100th career NHL game last night and his 184th start, becoming the sixth fastest in NHL history and second in Blues history. According to NHL.com, it is actually Jake Allen who did it in 176 games. Okay. We do have a texter who is saying that uh, a stat on Bally's last night might have disagreed with that. Um, both of the both the, li- the, the listener and Randy Carriker did get that one wrong, so it didn't have any... Um, it didn't have any matter here in the final thing. The winning question was, of course, number four, where Randy won this one 3-2. to two. With Yachty's retirement, which active MLB catcher currently has the most gold gloves? It is, in fact, Salvador Perez with five. Uh, Sean Murphy, like you said, has won two. And JT Realmuto, I believe, also in the NL, did get two out of there thanks to... Uh, some solid play, but also some very solid offense. So a 3-2 win for Randy Carricker in the fight today. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Brad, and participating. My pleasure, guys. Have a good day. You too, Brad, and happy holidays. Thank you very much. Brad with us on 101 ESPN. It was a good fight. It was. Brad, Brad was very confident in his choices. Um, you know, just came up a little short. I mean, as most people do, too. Yeah, you know. Okay, Maybe. so. You know. Now, who can argue with that? Um, so we have we have uh, a couple textures saying that he's the third fastest. Elliot and uh, Brian Elliot and Jake Allen are faster. Somebody said Elliot did it also in 184. The list that I am looking at from the NHL Public Relations Twitter: Matt Murray at number one, Tristan Jari, Frederick Anderson, Andre Vasilevsky, Jake Allen at 176, Connor Hollebuck at 179, Jordan Binnington at 184, and then it goes to Jonathan Quick at 185. So NHL Public Relations doesn't even have. Uh, Brian Elliott in there at the 184 game mark. So that's where I got my stat from. People are saying that that uh, Elliott was also 184 games as well, so he would have been tied with Jordan Bennington for second of all time. And perhaps or the all time. Bally one was with the Blues. Yeah, maybe it was just his, just only his first, yeah. uh, his first, um, yeah, his first 100 yeah. Blues wins. This one was their first co- 100 career wins Overall. across all their times. Is that? I mean, the fact that we. We 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 tend not we because we don't do anything, Randy. Yeah. People tend to give Jordan Bennington such a tough time. That is a, a fantastic stat to be mm-hmm. sixth all time in NHL history, to, the fastest to 100, 100 wins. That means he's playing some pretty pretty darn good hockey. He has, yeah, in, in his and, career, and just not this year. One thing that Jordan has said in the past, and I would think that it probably hasn't changed much, is that. He doesn't care about his personal stats. All he cares about is W's. That's it. Just win the game. Just win, baby. And I think that's a a good way to to approach it. However, if you don't allow many goals, then uh, ergo, you will win more games. (laughs) You will win more games. (laughs) So lower goals against average generally is going to lead to more victories. That's how that works. I didn't know John Madden moved over to hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up here on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals have been connected to Carlos Rodon, although John Mozeliak has debunked that uh, that rumor. But would you give a guy like Carlos Rodon the kind of money that he's asking for? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the Opening Drive. It's time for today's big thing. (laughs) 
John Heyman had a rumor over the weekend that was quickly debunked by John Mozeliak that the Cardinals were a mystery team in the hunt for former Giants and White Sox left-hander Carlos Rodon, who is seeking, according to Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle, $100 million over seven years. Kerry Davis, are the Cardinals going to give any pitcher $100 million over seven years? Any pitcher at all, anywhere, anytime? Uh, no. Now, they're they're going to reach a point soon where they're going to have to consider that if they're going to be as competitive as they have been in the past. But here's the thing with Carlos Rodon, who's been great for the last couple of years, one of those with the White Sox, and then last year with the Giants, he opted out of a two-year $44 million deal. He started 55 games in the last two years. But in the four years prior to 2021, he pitched in just 41 games. It's an average of pitching in 10 games a year. And by the way, uh, obviously one of those was the COVID year, but still, he has a dramatic injury history. And at the age of 30, injuries may be behind him, but are you confident enough that the injuries are behind him that you would give him $100 million over seven years? Some team is going to be dumb enough to do that. I don't think the Cardinals should be one. Well, we were talking. Um, not great. <laughs> we were talking about uh, potentially a two year deal and how you would feel about that. Kind of a, I guess, you said he turned down a two year uh, extension from the, from the Giants. The Giants, yeah. And so, like a two year deal for, for $60 million. Would, would that Would that make you comfortable? I think that'll be the going rate mm-hmm. for, uh, in terms of AAV for a pitcher like that. Again, I don't know if the Cardinals will do that. but And we're going to talk to Derek Gould later on in the show. But it seems to me you're going to have to swim in those waters if you want to be competitive. This year, though, I don't see the Cardinals doing that because... They believe that Jack Flaherty can pitch a full season. Mm-hmm. They they obviously spent the money on Wainwright. They they have confidence in Jordan Montgomery. They have confidence in Michaelis after last year. And they've spent the money on Steven Matz. All five of those guys are going to be in the opening day starting rotation. I'm sure what the Cardinals are thinking right now is we've got five guys, plus we've got Dakota Hudson, who has pitched well for us in the past and pitched better after he got sent to the minors and started adapting to the pitch clock. He's a guy that needs to work fast. So my guess would be that the Cardinals are feeling like they are okay from a pitching perspective, but Kerry, four of those guys, everybody except for Mats, are up after this year. Yeah. They're out the door and it seems like I know they have Graceffo on the way, and they have Libertor on the way, and they have McGreevy on the way, and uh, they've got Connor Thomas on the way. They, they've got a, a lot of young pitchers. But you aren't, you aren't winning much with a really inexperienced starting rotation. So sometime, I would guess sooner rather than later, they're going to have to swim in those $30 million-a-year waters for a pitcher. And, and spend some money on someone that they know they're going to be under contract for yeah. for multiple years, not just you know not just a one-and-done type of deal as, as where we are right now. Um, we, we, I talked to, we were talking to Claves earlier, and I asked about Jordan Hicks, and, and he's an intriguing uh, pitcher to me because I, I think, I, I know you, you believe his starting days are, are long yeah. gone, well yeah. past him, but I, I wonder what, if if spring training, if he were to give a get get a trial run at it, how how well could he fare if he were given the opportunity? Because I, I as when a I, starter, yes. When I watch him, I've heard him speak multiple times. 
he's not he's he he's one of those guys that has a lot of confidence and he does not feel like a a like he doesn't view himself as a middle reliever type of mm-hmm. type of player more so along the lines of I should either be a starter or I should be the closer because that's where my talent lies and it's not not that the middle reliever uh role is not important but I just don't feel like he he believes that it's that that's his destiny that's what he feels he is Mike made the point, and it's 100% accurate, that he has become more of a pitcher. He used to just try to get by on that 102-mile-an-hour yeah. yeah. fastball, and actually people made contact with it. He did for, for as hard as he throws, he didn't strike an awful lot of people out. But to become a starting pitcher, he's going to have to learn how to pace himself. Mm-hmm. He can't go all out like he tries to do if he's going to give you innings. Well, the and, clock will help with that, wouldn't it? The, the, the pitch clock? I, I think so, but yeah. he's going to have to Understand that okay, I need to I need to have command. He he throws way too many balls. Mm-hmm. I need to have command within the zone at ninety five, right. ninety eight miles an hour rather than ninety eight, one hundred and two. If he can do that, and if he can become much more efficient, because one of the things that he was doing was throwing ninety pitches in three innings. Yeah, if he can become more efficient. Sure, he could do it, but that's a tall ask, I think, gotcha. of that guy. Well, the only reason I'm asking because we we seem to be in the 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 market for a starting pitcher, and mm-hmm. and we were told that there are six starters. I uh, I don't know that Dakota Hudson is going to be. I don't know what Stephen Matz is going to give us if if he's a starter. I I have a lot of faith in Jordan Montgomery based on what he did when he got mm-hmm. here last year. I have faith still in Jack Flaherty, knowing that if he's healthy, if he's Healthy, he is your ace. He is he's your guy. Well, when he's been healthy, and I know Miles, Michaelis, and Wayno are going to take their take the ball and give you innings every single time they're out there. So, so I know that about those guys. It's just the the fifth, sixth starter that they talk about is is really the concern for me. Yeah. But again, the last thing you want to do is to add to that equation a second guy who says he's good when he's healthy. We don't we don't no, need right. another well, person who the yeah. commented he's good when he's healthy, yeah. especially if that comes with a brand new multi year. You know, biggest free agent contract you've ever handed out before. It just it doesn't line up with the issues they've had. It's not about you know they don't have an ace. It's that they don't have a healthy ace. And the last thing you do, I think, is get a guy who's only been healthy for three years. They drafted a guy a couple of years ago named Tink Hentz, a hard thrower mm-hmm. who's, who's working his way through the system. We didn't even mention Zach Thompson, who might actually get pigeonholed as a relief pitcher, but yeah. he's been a starter and has really good stuff. And uh, Andre Pallante is another guy who has been a starter in the past and has that sort of ability. I almost forgot about Andre Pallante. Yeah, you kind of do. And spring training is going to be a, a crucial time for, for to sort all of this out, to figure out who mm-hmm. is who and what is what. And, and again, even if you are not a starting pitcher coming out of spring training, injuries happen every single day. So having those arms in the bullpen, you know, the Matthew Libertors, the 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 guys that you just named, mm-hmm. I, I believe it will the Palantes, it will it will allow them to have better success going forward. And I think one of the things they have to do, Kerry, is last year they brought Palante north with the knowledge that they needed a guy in the bullpen, but they had starters. Right. With the knowledge that they have four starting pitchers that are not under contract for 2024. For example, if Gordon Graceffo has a great spring, last year you might have thought about putting him in the bullpen. Now you want to build up his innings for 2024. The approach I would hope and I would think will be different with those hot prospects because you want to have them prepared to be starters in 24 and not throwing just 40 innings or something like that. Do you think that there's a name that we haven't really talked about that could potentially end up in this starting rotation? 
Like, do you think that a that a, a, a Libertor or a Palante or one of those Dakota Hudson, who I think is the sixth starter mm-hmm. for for all intents and purposes, do you think one of those guys could eventually become a start be become be in the starting rotation that we're not really thinking they are right now? Keep an eye on the Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Year, Connor Thomas. Okay, and he's a little fella. He's 5'10", 175 pounds, but he throws hard, great command, and had a great. Arizona Fall League. Connor Thomas would be the guy if I were to pick out one name that I would want to keep an eye on. Alrighty. There we there's, go. There's got to be a team out there that has a solid starting pitcher right now but does not have prospects of being a playoff team for the next three or four years that would take a combination of like Libertor and McGreevy for like a, a guy who could be good this year that we could see and a guy who could be good in two or three years and just say, hey, here's, a, here's our starter who could give you 23 starts. There's got to be somebody out there and there's got to be a team out there who needs because listen, I love the prospect. I'm not saying you completely unload your your farm system, but I think at this point a smart move is to take two or three of the young arms and outfielders who might not ever see the major leagues right now and jump on it and say, let's find a team that needs some prospects. And uh, you have so much. Yeah, I, it, I think it would, it would be malpractice not to try to jump on improving this roster right now with a combination of two or three of those prospects. And I look at the way Houston won. With just having a ton of arms, yeah, and I think quantity is as important as quality because you have so many injuries. When it comes now. to the pitchers, yeah. that's fair. That's yeah. fair. And by, by the way, by, by hitting and then just keep on just churning out those twenty-four yeah. to twenty-seven-year-old young yeah. arms and and maybe maybe kind of you know burning them and turning them a yeah. little bit. You look at the bad teams. Washington has traded their guys, right? Oakland has traded their guys. Cincinnati has traded their guys. Pittsburgh doesn't have any guys. Kansas City doesn't have any guys. Detroit, they think they have a chance to win. They have a couple of good young starting pitchers. Colorado, maybe that's a team you go to and say, okay, do you have a starting pitcher for us? I don't know if Colorado is picking up the phone from (laughs) Mo these days. Uh, Texas is trying to win. Miami, they have some good young pitching, but what they need is uh, an offensive center fielder. If they were going to trade a Pablo Lopez, they'd want a center fielder that could run rather than a group of, of young starting pitchers. The Angels are looking, it appears, to try to build up and win. Cubs aren't moving anybody. Diamondbacks, maybe you, you go back and get Zach Gallen from the, the Diamondbacks. But they have a wealth of young left-handed hitting outfielders, which is also a valuable commodity right now. Nine of your top 15 prospects right now are pitchers. Mm-hmm. And I get, like you said, having the quantity is nice. But even if you do, even if you would ship out like Libertor and like McGreevy, Jerpy, hence Graceffo, top three right there, still untouched. Yeah. If you have a position of strength that you can deal from, I think this is one of the situations where you do it. And then you combine it again. Maybe but the, but can, the problem is you have to find the team that can use the three guys, right? And that has that pitcher available. That's the thing. Is Usually there's somebody out there, but that's one of those things that might not become a little bit clearer until maybe a team decides, listen, we have to rebuild. Last, we're, not, yeah. we're, not, we're not competing this year. Maybe this is something that doesn't happen until May, June, July. Yeah. Last year, this time. You're looking at Castillo, you're looking at Tyler Molly, you're looking at Manaya, you're looking at Montas, you're looking at Bassett. Uh, uh, Washington, they still had a starting pitcher left for, at this time last year, right? That wasn't Patrick Corbin. Uh, but they were still looking for starting pitching, too. Uh, there, there's just, from what I see, teams that... I mean, do you really want to go get Chris Sale? I don't think so. Mm. Uh, don't so, get this text line started, Randy. <laughs> I mean, Chris Sale can't pitch anymore. They He's will, done. They, we will, we've gotten people, without you even mentioning it, out of the blue saying, what about a Chris Sale, what about a Chris Sale no. signing? He keeps he gets hurt off the field. Yeah. Man, falling in showers. And yeah. Chris Sale is right now what 
Actually, it's worse. But he's what Carlos Rodon was two years ago before mm. he started pitching again. And you owe Sale like what twenty five million a year for the next three years, something like that. I need to do that. So anyway, no, that I'm 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 not on board with that. So uh, there you go. The the Cardinals aren't going to do it. Panger is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. We did the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend, Blues Analyst from Valley Sports, Darren Pang, joins us now. Panger, happy holidays. Good morning. How you doing? Happy holidays to you as well, both of you. Uh, well, doing really well, actually. After a game like that last night, it's uh, it's a nice way to wake up this morning, that's for sure. Hey, Pang, it, it looked, Panger, it looked to me like they were playing with so much more energy and effort. Were you able to see that yesterday, and, and has that been something that has been talked about over the last few weeks? Well, I, I think, you know what, Kerry, I think for, for sure effort and competitiveness is, is something that, I mean, I mean that's what you're in this game for. I mean, if you don't have that, then something's greatly lacking. So I, I think when you combine that effort and, and, uh, and some better structure as well, um, you know, you can work. You can work hard and stupid, but you still have to work. You still have to work hard and smart in this game because otherwise you'll leave men alone in front of the net, or you'll take chances that you you shouldn't take, and that leads to to bad breaks against you. But uh, you know, I mean, the afternoon game against Colorado was a was a good hockey game. They, you know, when you when you think about maybe the disappointment of of losing that in overtime, you know, I kind of thought about well. Man, what a what a great shorthanded goal that Brandon Sod scored! You know, to make it two to one, um, could have easily lost that two to one on a power play goal against and, and not get one point at all. So I think they're you know they're climbing a, a very large mountain, but they're I, I think they're doing a good job of just looking ten steps up instead of at the very top right now and and not and not getting too overwhelmed with uh, where they are in the standings and how the season's gone and trying to keep everything right in front of them. But but overall. Yeah, I thought that you know, I thought the compete in the last two games was uh, w- was really good. Panger, when you talk about climbing that mountain and, and you talk about not getting too concerned about the standings, what's in front of them from an athletic perspective, is that pretty easy to do to compartmentalize and just put your head down and and look at the next game that's ahead of you? Oh, you know what? I think it's easier said than done. To be quite honest with you, I mean, you know, I think you can't help but but take a peek at the standings and, and go, man, that's where we're at. That's where we're at right now. Um, but I think, you know, I think once you get, once you get by that and a week or two weeks or three weeks rolls by and, and, uh, you know, you just don't look at it anymore. You just say, okay, let's, let's, let's look at, let's look at a five game, you know, segment, um, in, instead of, oh my goodness, we're going on the road for this and Christmas is here and pretty soon it's January and we're in, you know, we're still four games below 500. So, uh, I, I just remember in our day of playing and did, you know, we, 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 we had everything on our board, um, on five game segments and that, and that was it. Um, I, maybe we did that when we weren't, when we weren't <laughs> playing very well. <laughs> maybe, you know, when you're playing really well and you're in first place and you're humming along, I think you want to see the entire standings and see where you're at. But when, <laughs> when you're not having that success, you just, you've got to break it down in a little bit 
smaller areas. But um, so where where are the Blues right now? Like you know, I'm looking at this. I look at the standings every day, and I go, okay, boy, Anaheim, Chicago, Arizona, San Jose, and the Blues. Well, the Blues are at 27 points. They play Vancouver coming up. They play Calgary coming up, and they play Edmonton coming up. Those are all four-point games, and and you win those games, uh, you know. Then, then now now you're making the climb that's that's necessary, and then you can look up a little bit and say, okay, now here's here's where we're at. Here's we got to catch Minnesota now, and now you've got, you know, now you've got that right right ahead of you. It's not very far if you look at the standings. I mean, it's not it's not overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination, especially considering how the Central Division has played out. It, it hasn't been that consistent, except for Winnipeg and Dallas all year long. Hey, Panker, what did you think about uh, Alexei Torpchenko, his first game back since uh, right after Thanksgiving? He was blocking shots. He seemed to have you know a lot of energy out there. What did you see from him? Yeah, I, I saw the same thing, Kerry. I think... You know, I think it was important, you know, for a young player to go down to the minors, and 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 I like the way the coaching staff said it. Just, just touch the puck. You know, he was here. He wasn't handling pucks. He, he was, you know, he wasn't a very significant player, to put it quite bluntly. Well, he was here. He was okay, but but he wasn't a difference maker. And and I think in that type of role, and the and the way that he skates, and the way that he can forecheck, as we saw last year, um, it was quite clear that a reset in confidence was necessary for him. So to go down to the minors and play some games and, and uh, to hold on to pucks and to stick handle through the neutral zone, do, you know, the little, the fundamentals of the game. So he comes in last night and I thought he played extremely well. Um, I, I could tell, you know, when he's blocking those shots in that, uh, in that second period, you know, on the penalty kill, the, the players on the bench to my right where, you know, they're banging their, their sticks on the boards and then the energy level really rose. And, uh, uh, the, you know, that's how you endear yourself to your teammates. You know that, Kerry. You come on in and you, you be impactful. I mean, if you, just, if you just, you know, go through the motions, well, you're not going to find yourself in this league for very long. So we all feel that Torpchenko is going to be a real good player in this league for a long time, and last night was a great step in the right direction. Panger, I was telling Kerry yesterday about the philosophy that you passed along to me about being able to see all five skaters in the screen when a, when a play is going on. How do you think the Blues have done in that regard, just playing that good tight game over the last couple mm-hmm. of games? Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about, playing playing more intelligently and, and playing you know, fundamentally sound. Um, yeah, so, the, the, you know, when they're giving up, when you're giving up a lot of goals, and especially that back, you know, any kind of backdoor play, there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a positioning of your feet, there's a positioning of the other player, there's the other player getting on inside before you get to that spot to to box that player out. But you know, when I when the last two games, you know, especially, I think you know, you look at basically you do you look at a TV screen and you go, okay, there's five men in that. I don't know what the score of the game is. But they, they, they look like they're playing a nice, tight, cohesive game, no matter what zone you're in, in the offensive zone, in the neutral zone, in the defensive zone. And so that, that tells me that, uh, uh, that, they're all, you know, that they're on the same page and, uh, and, they're, and they're playing in unison. So um, that's the only way to play. It's the only way the good teams you know, have success in this league. You've, and, and when you play in five-man units and tight packs, then usually good things happen. Hey, Panger, uh, Bennington got his 100th victory of his career. Uh, so I got a two-part question. How well did you see – how well did you think he played? And on that shot that he took off the wrist, how bad does that hurt when, it, when you get hit in a spot that is unpadded and unprotected? Well, yeah. That, <laughs> I, I could tell right away, Kerry, that, you know, I wasn't sure if, if, if their player um, 
I think that was Cole Smith, um, jumped up. I wasn't sure if that affected where his glove was or if he was trying to catch the puck on his back and, you know, like a catcher, mm-hmm. you know, kind of take it across his chest so there was no rebound, which happens quite a bit. But, um, but it was the player that jumped up that caused his hand to turn over. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's brutal because, you know, you're, you, you know, as a goalie, you're, you're blocker. So for those that are new to the game, the, the, the glove that you hold your, sti- your stick with is a, you know, it's basically a waffle board. It's a, you know, that's what it's there for, to protect the outside of your hand. And then your glove has also got a, a, a kind of a, a blocker as well on it, on the cuff. And so when that turns over, all that's there is a kind of a nylon, it's, it's, it's kind of a foam, and that's it with, with a strap. So there, there is no protection right there. So it, it's odd because, you know, you're not supposed to get hit by a puck right there. So, yeah, I, I was worried for him. And, and still today, who knows last night after the game how, how it was. Um, but he seemed like, you know, to be able to stay in the net. And even when Braden Shen's stick broke in front of him in overtime mm-hmm. and he he went out right away to play the puck. That tells me that it that it's okay. That maybe more of a scare and maybe more of a deep bone bruise than, than anything else. Panger, which TN? Excuse me, which TNT game do you have tomorrow? I'm going to bring Bruce with me. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> Bruce and I are going to go to Calgary, and uh, we're going to do the Vancouver Canucks at the Calgary Flames. So two teams that we're going to see, and then I'm going to join the Blues in uh, in Edmonton on Thursday, and then go back to Calgary. On Friday, and then a couple of days off in Vancouver, and then uh, and then uh, we're off and running there. I, I'm going to leave the Blues for a few games. I'm going to go all the way to Fort Lauderdale after that and do a, do a game next Wednesday. But that's that's jumping way too far ahead. You can, um, you can hang out with Matthew Kachuk. Have you already made those plans just to stay at Matthew's pad? Yeah, well, it's it's funny, you know, when we when the Blues played in uh, in Sunrise, what a couple of weeks ago, I, I ran into uh, Big Walt and. Uh, and he said, boy, I'm so happy for, for Matthew. I've never seen him happier. And I'm like, um, because he lives in Fort Lauderdale on the beach and has a nice tan and, uh, um, and is in the sun and makes uh, about $10 million. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good reason to be happy. Hey. Call, call me goofy, but I'm happy just thinking about that. Safe travels to you and Brucey, and uh, we'll be tuned in tomorrow on TNT and then Thursday with the Blues in Edmonton. Thanks, Panger. Sounds great, guys. Have a good week. See you later. That's our friend Darren Pang, Blues Analyst on Bally Sports here on 101 ESPN. Next up, Mizzou has replaced Dominic Lovett. But how should teams use the transfer portal? We'll tell you how we think they should next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. As you most likely know, Missouri lost Dominic Lovett in the transfer portal, and he's regarded by ESPN as the third best player in the transfer portal. To replace Lovett on the roster, Mizzou went to the transfer portal. Theo Weiss was a five-star wide receiver out of Allen, Texas back in 2019. Signed with Oklahoma and has two years of eligibility left, and Mizzou has signed Theo Weiss to take the place of Lovett. And it is clearly a replacement. Kerry, we see a lot of college programs, and Lincoln Riley at USC is the most notable, Brian Kelly at LSU, very notable. They enhance their team. They improve their team with the transfer portal. Last year, Mel Tucker was able to do it at Michigan State. 
This year, Georgia didn't sign a single player out of the transfer portal, and Mizzou basically uses it as a a replacement vehicle for players that do leave Mm -hmm. via the transfer portal. I like that philosophy that Eli Drinkwitz has in terms of just using it to replace players that you lose rather than trying to get better. I I think to, to try to get better, you should bring in your own guys and develop your own guys rather than have a guy that you recruited and developed and then bring in a player from the outside that takes a starting job from a guy who's been working hard for you for a couple of years. Well, I, I like the, the the Mizzou philosophy. How would you treat the transfer portal? Well, I think if you do go get a transfer kid, it, it, it makes sense that for me, it's the best player plays. I don't care where you came from. I don't care, you know, how long you've been here. If if I go get a kid from another school from Oklahoma and he's better than the receivers that I have on the roster, then he's going to start. Um, but I also think that there is something that that is left out when you don't recruit kids and evaluate them and develop them to your own standards. Oftentimes, if you're going through the transfer portal you may be getting a kid that has already developed poor habits or there is something, you know, may not be to the standard of what you do it. And now you have to fix something as opposed to teaching something. And that could lead to, to, to some issues as well. So it's a I guess it's a it's a it's a it's a fine line right there trying to figure out which way is the best option. I think for teams that need something that can that can help them right now, you know, the the, the Missouri Tigers did this a few years ago at quarterback um, when they went out and got the, the kid from Clemson. Uh, uh, Kelly, Bryant. Kelly Bryant, and so you know, and that didn't go as as well as as some people thought it would. You you assume that because a kid is coming from this program or from this school, you have to understand that when kids are transferring, generally speaking, something didn't go well at the place that they were before, or they're trying to find something better, and it, it may not always be to the advantage of the team that is getting that kid that comes in from 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 the transfer portal. And some players. And this is hard to gauge as a coach. I think you have to interview the guys that you're getting. Some players just don't have it in them to compete for that yeah. starting job. Some players aren't given the opportunity to compete for a starting job. And then some kids have, I told you I was talking to a Power 5 coach uh, a couple of weeks ago, and his he had a kid that transferred from his Power 5 school to another Power He was a starter at this Power 5 school, transferred to another Power 5 school, and played four snaps all season. And so, you know, he, he had had delusions of grandeur where he thought that this place, this new school would be better. And it turned out he was not good enough to play at that school. He should have stayed where he was. So there are a multitude of reasons why kids jump into the transfer portal. And, and sometimes it's because they don't want to compete. Sometimes it's because they're not getting the opportunities that they feel that they deserve. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's just because they feel like there are some, there is something better out there. You do have to. Uh, really dig into to why this kid is deciding to jump into the transfer portal, what took place. And also, I think you would need to ask questions of other coaches mm-hmm. and get both sides of the story because if I'm giving you, if I'm a kid, he's going to only give you his side of the story as opposed to what, what both sides, and then you can figure out what the truth is. I'm pretty sure that Tyler Macon can play. And yeah. he wasn't given an opportunity Correct. at Mizzou. But if I were another school, I would be really interested in having him come and, and show me what he's capable of because I don't think he was given the chance to show what he was capable of at Missouri. And that's a kid that you can understand. Okay, I've been here two, three years. I haven't had an opportunity where, you know, there have been questions about the quarterback play and I haven't gotten an opportunity to even show on film uh, in a game what I can do. 
Now, some of that comes from practice and, and, and showing how well you can do those things in practice. I don't know if he's been been playing well in practice. I haven't watched any Mizzou practices, so I could not tell mm-hmm. you. But I know he hasn't gotten an opportunity on the field, and there have been questions about his position and how well that person is playing. When you look at Dominic Lovett, who was leading the SEC in receiving at one point, you question, okay, well, what are you? What exactly are you looking for if you want to jump into the transfer portal? Are you looking for a, a, a team that can take you to, to potentially the national championship? Are you looking for a quarterback that can get you the ball better or, or more opportunities to catch passes? Those are the questions that you want to know from a guy like that. It, it, why do you want to transfer? What are the needs that you are looking for that you are not receiving here at Missouri right now? And he might, uh, speaking of love it, he, he might be looking at Jordan Addison, at U, who yeah. went from Penn State to USC. Say, okay, that guy's leaving. There's an opportunity there for at a big-time, right. really visible school with a, a guy that I know is a great quarterback. Right. And and one thing that uh, I think Dion has said that I, I, I think rings true, I want kids that are more focused on the NFL as opposed to the NIL. And I <laughs> yeah. think at times uh, a lot of these kids are focused on what they can get right now as opposed to – you're going to make significantly more amount of money if you make it to the NFL as a first-round draft pick than you ever will being yeah, receiving money through the NIL. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. By the way, the top three transfer portal players available according to ESPN.com, quarterback Devin Leary out of NC State, linebacker Desan McCullough out of Indiana, and then Dominic Lovett, the wide receiver from Mizzou. We're going to talk some Cardinal baseball next with the Redbirds beat writer from the Post-Dispatch and SGLToday.com. Derek Gould is next on 101 ESPN. Back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy Carricker, one of the great events on the St. Louis sports calendar every year is the St. Louis Baseball Writers Dinner. This year it's going to take place on January 15th. That's a Sunday night at the Missouri Athletic Club and the Baseball Writers Association of America St. Louis chapter is going to honor, among others, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Miles Michaelis, Ryan Helsley, Ollie Marmol, and more. It's January 15th at the MAC. And I just tweeted a link if you'd like to get tickets. Joining us now on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, is a major member of the St. Louis chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America, Cardinal beat writer for the Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com, Derek Gould. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Brandy? Good to talk with you. It's uh, good to have you with with Carrie and I. And let's start with this. It's been a couple of years since we had a Baseball Writers Dinner, and I know it's an exciting <clears throat> thing for everybody involved to, to get back at it. Yeah, yeah. For obvious reasons, we uh, we didn't gather a large group of people in a room, um, but we didn't want it to vanish. You know, it's become a tradition, you know, more than 60 years, more than 60 dinners, 63rd coming up this year. Um, and it's one of the last of its type in the country. This used to be a common thing for chapters around the country of baseball writers to hold their dinners, to honor players, writers, um, people around baseball, you know, good guys who help out everybody um you know people who have given you know so much of their life to baseball all that stuff used to be pretty common um and now there are really two that carry the banner of the baseball writers there's the one in new york where the awards are given out um and and is run by the chapter there in new york and then there's here which uh, has continued through the strength and determination of guys like rick hummel and bob Bragg, who um 
you know, one who started the dinner and the other who has carried it through for almost five decades now, just uh, sometimes on his own with his willpower. Um, so it's good that we can bring it back. It, it does do a good thing. We raise money um, for scholarships and for internships, and we've had different programs um, that we've been able to do to help um, sort of the next generation of journalists, um, just to make it, you know, just to put it in perspective, you know, Ben Fredrickson, who's a columnist at our paper, was one of our interns. And that we were able to do that because of the dinner. Um, and to make it personal, uh, one of the honors that I got at Mizzou when I was a student there was the Jack Buck Award from the St. Louis Baseball Writers Chapter. So we, we've seen it help young journalists get set, and we want to continue that. And if you'd like to get... Uh tickets all you need to do is you can go to my twitter page at randy character i just retweeted the the ticket link or just go to at st louis bbwaa hey, mm-hmm. hey derek you uh, wrote an article a couple of days ago saying that the cardinals needed to be in the race for arms uh to fill this void that they will have coming up in 2024 there have been reports that uh carlos rodon is is one of the teams or the cardinals are one of the suitors for for carlos rodon do you see that as a possibility or or do you see more of them leaning towards re-signing one of these guys that they have on the roster now well of a me well they'll they'll shop i would uh i would ease off on the Rodone stuff. I mean, he's a guy who has wants a rather large contract, has a rather interesting, you know, limited innings because of some injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of reasons why the Cardinals would not line up with him. One of the reasons why they would is because they're very easy, easy to cast as a mystery team because they don't comment about things. So <laughs> they're, they're the perfect mystery team because they'll play along with your mystery. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're great in that way. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, but, it's not just dismissing the free agent market. Um, even if they do wade into the free agent market, they're going to spend some time. Um, and it's pretty standard or classic of them to kind of get back into this habit of exploring um, extensions with guys during spring training, going into spring. I mean, it makes a lot of sense um, for them. And it makes a lot of sense for Michaelis to have a talk about what that looks like beyond, um, especially coming off the year that he did what he did for them. Um, his age, the length of that contract, just it, all things line up. You know, he's from Jupiter. He's really enjoyed being a Cardinal. Um, he's positioned well to be kind of the the elder statesman when Wainwright retires and would really like that role. So I, it, everything lines up. It's, it's a matter of who that second guy is, right? Like, do they – um, what do they do? what do they expect from Jack, and what what kind of conversation does he want to have, or does he want a full healthy year to springboard then into free agency? Um, and where does Montgomery fit? You know, I'm not sure that they know Montgomery all that well. They have high hopes for him, um, but he's a guy who's only been here for two months. Do they take some time to get to know him better, to talk to him, to see if that is something that he would be receptive to discussing? Um, you know, there's still options out there in the free agent market. Um, there's also July. And I, I think that, you know, as you kind of look at what the Cardinals need is, you know, we've seen them make trades this past two years for two starters. Um, you know, it, it, it could inform them again. And one of the starters they made a trade for last year, Montgomery, they have control of for this year. Um, if the trade market is intriguing at this point in time of year, I fully expect them and know they will take notes as to who then to pursue in July 
as that trade deadline ticks closer. Hey, Derek, as we remember from back in the day, the Cardinals with starting pitching almost invariably seemed to get more from less with Dave Duncan as a pitching coach with uh, whether Matheny or Yachty behind the plate. Is that an approach that could be practiced today? Is it would it be viable to go out and try to get go bargain hunting and try to get more from less like they used to do? Yeah, I think they still do, Randy. I think they did that with Lester. I think they definitely with Lester. I think they did to a lesser extent with Hap. I think they definitely got that with Quintana, where they they put those guys um, with the pitching staff they had with the pitching coach they had with the catcher that they had and with the defense behind them that the Cardinals have. And they, they got more than other teams would um, while paying the price that other teams also would, if that makes sense, they could maximize the return. I mean, you know, I remember Walt Jockety joking about the millions that Dave Duncan saved him and the millions that Dave Duncan made pitchers um, when they <laughs> yeah. left. Um, I'm not sure that like that exact model exists because the game is caught up. Um, you know, so many of the things that the Cardinals were just uh, ahead of a stride or two ahead of either because of their coaching or because of some of the things that they were able to do analytically, um, particularly in the draft and identify, you know, that gap has either closed or they've been surpassed. And one of the things that is forefront and, you know, how the Cardinals handle this is really, going to define them into the next stretch here um, and also you know what what the front office looks like going forward is how do they respond to the fact that again teams have caught up and that means prices have too and spending is is escalating in the National League and the type of pitchers that the Cardinals need and the type of pitchers that the Cardinals have identified are no longer in that, you know, just below 10 million range. Now they're going 18 million. When you look at some of these guys who aren't necessarily quality start monsters, but might be, they get paid, you know, 18 because they might be. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a real leap that the Cardinals have to make. And one that they're aware of that it might take them stretching financially to a place they have not gone which uh, which they, they, they have done now, but it, it's still not enough to catch up with the other juggernauts in the National League. Hey, Derek, what were your thoughts on the Wilson Contreras signing? Were you, were you excited about it, or were you thinking that they maybe could have gone in a different direction? Um, I mean, you know, it made a lot of sense, especially, you know, as that week kind of unfolded. Um, you know, Sean Murphy made a, so much of a match for the Cardinals. Clearly they saw it, uh, you know, and also clearly Oakland saw it too. As they tried to squeeze the best offer they could get from the Cardinals and use their urgency against them. You know, in one of the moments there at San Diego up in uh, the Cardinals suite, Mosellock said, you know, maybe I shouldn't have advertised our needs so much. <laughs> which, yeah. which, I mean, you know what, if he, if he hadn't, we'd still be writing about it. Teams would still know about it. They pay attention. But, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the humor of the moment. You could tell, like, what conversations he was facing. Um, you know, when, when that price got high and, you know, what, what comes out is how, how really intrigued and how committed the Cardinals are to a guy like Newpar. Um, you start to go, okay, well, you know, what they have in their back pocket is they have cash. And that's what Wilson Contreras costs and a compensation draft pick down the road, but mostly cash. And once they had that meeting and once they kind of described that meeting, um, you could kind of see how their view of him 
had grown. Their interest in him had increased. Um, their manager's, uh, you know, confidence in him certainly took a bounce. And, you know, he went from knowing a guy as a competitor and seeing a lot of maybe his flaws um, to that meeting where they got a chance to hear from him and they walked away seeing a lot of his pluses. And, you know, as the A's tried to squeeze the last talent from the Cardinals roster, or the most talent, I should say, from the Cardinals roster, the, uh, you know, the, the, their ability to pivot to that guy, made, to Wilson Contreras, made a lot of sense. Um, and it just was a matter of figuring out the dollars. Now, they had to go another year or two beyond what they wanted to. Um, but they like his offense enough, his athleticism enough to make it worthwhile. Hey, Derek, I want to ask about one specific guy. This will be my, my last question, and then we're going to circle back to the writer's dinner. But sure. we spent the first half of the 2022 season taking texts and uh, and mic drops from people who couldn't wait for the Cardinals to bring up Nolan Gorman. Then people saw yeah. him for a half of a uh, season. And by the way, he spent a good portion of that in the top five uh, of a- average exit v- velocity. But now people can't wait to trade the guy. I want to know from you what baseball thinks and specifically what the Cardinals still think of Nolan Gorman. It's interesting because this came up in my chat yesterday and it's like, you know, the, the, there's so much attention and so much excitement about a guy like say Alec Burleson or Jordan Walker or, you know, um, well, those two guys stand out because of the power um, and, and what they could do in the majors. And it's like, yeah, but you know, Nolan Gorman was that guy just 12 months ago. And, you know, now why the difference it's because he got up here and failed, right? The other guys haven't had that chance. They haven't had Burleson a little bit, but they haven't. The Burleson didn't get the playing time that Gorman did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, the idea that Gorman got to the majors, hit as many home runs as he did. I mean, he hit more than 20 home runs total. Let's not lose sight of that. And not in a lot of at-bats. So he has a lot of power. But the idea that he got to the majors and failed should not necessarily drag down the expectations of him as a talent, if anything, it, we should note he got to the majors. He played regularly. He did all right at second base. He turned a very good double play. That was valuable to the Cardinals. Um, can he improve on his range? Can he improve on his reaction? Well, that's something that he has to do. Can he reduce the swing and miss? That's a huge part of it. Can he keep his you know kind of swing together so that he can have a better approach up there? That's something that he has to do. But he's also quite young. So I think it's interesting that you bring him up because, you know, baseball, the industry, and look at look at the conversations the Cardinals had with Oakland, right? What, what were some of the hitters that the Cardinals, you know, maybe would have entertained talking about, and what were the ones that the A's wanted? Left-handed bat. Within the industry right now, left-handed power is so desirable because they see what Schwarber does, what Alvarez does, what Harper does in the playoffs. And there's a lot of evidence that in the playoffs, when you're facing elite right-handed pitching, which is what gets team to the postseason, that it's a left-handed power deterrent that is the only way to answer it. And so a player like Gorman, who's young, has the potential for left-handed power, has already shown some left-handed power, just needs to make more contact with it. Um, is is highly desirable and and people are interested in um, you know the Cardinals want to see that manifest here but they also wanted to like kind of take the temp of what he could get in return alone not not a whole lot because of the production but you know you get a team who's who's craving left-handed power which most teams are and they do have interest in a guy like that Derek I have never seen a guy get an MVP award in person 
Really? Yeah. yeah this will be a chance to see that. Um, I've I had the 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 uh, what is it? The privilege, uh, the response. I had the I had the challenge of not dropping it. Once. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to not drop the MVP award as I handed it to Albert Pujols. Um, you know, many years ago, uh, and this will be a chance for uh, for Paul Goldschmidt to to get the MVP award in person um, a few weeks before it's given to him in New York. So, yeah, that's exciting that, uh, you know, that St. Louis, again, because of the history, um, because of the importance of St. Louis in baseball, because of this city and its fan base and the team's relationship and the writers' relationship with the history of Major League Baseball, we'll have the MVP trophy there. There's also going to be other trophies there, um, the platinum glove for Nolan Arenado, for example, which he hasn't seen yet, I don't believe. Cool. Um, and some other things. So yeah, it's, it should be it should be an event. And if you've never seen an MVP trophy handed to an MVP, um, this is your chance. January fifteenth at the MAC. Tickets available now. Either go to the Twitter page for the St. Louis Baseball Writers at St. Louis BBWAA, and I put the link on my Twitter page. Derek has the link on his Twitter page, so you can find tickets uh, there. And it's a great holiday gift idea for for any baseball fan. Derek Gould, always good to hear your voice. We always love your work at stltoday.com and in the Post Dispatch. And we'll do this again soon. Sounds good, Randy. Thank you guys. Thank you both for having me on, and, and happy holidays. If I don't get a chance to see you, same to you. Same Thank to you, Derek. See you later. That's our friend Derek Gould, and it's always great to have him with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to give away some uh, some Billiken tickets for the game against Drake on Saturday night, and we're going to head down the stretch with rock and roll here. Uh, what, what do we got? Go ahead, and let, let's go ahead and get right into you this. Do it now? Yeah, let's do it now, because I, I, the question I have for everybody, I actually want to get into the answer in rock and roll, okay. so I want to get I want to get everyone texting in right you now so we don't, we don't give them the answer too easy. All right, so let me read this to you. We have your chance to score a four-pack of tickets right now to the Slough Billikens game this Saturday night against Drake at Chaffetz Arena. Tickets for the game are on sale now. Get all the details at sloughbillikens.com or text us at 65780 for your chance to win free tickets to Saturday's game, 65780. And all you need to do is answer this question. Matthew, take it away. Randy has a little flip uh, switch I on the back. That. He has a little switch <laughs> on the back of his neck, by the way. Carrie just leans over and goes, broadcaster voice, and it's just completely different. All right, this is, a, this is an easy one, but we're going to talk about it here on the other side, so I want everyone to know. Jordan Goodwin, former St. Louis Billiken, is uh, putting together a solid little career in the NBA right now. What NBA team does he play for? Mm, outstanding. Outstanding. And uh, we will do, uh, let's do texture number 45. Texture number 45. I like that. 65780. If you can tell us what NBA team Jordan Goodwin is with, you'll get the four-pack of tickets to the Billikens and Drake at Chaffetz Arena. And if you need tickets, go to slewbillikens.com. It's a great atmosphere on Saturday night. So we'll have that answer and a little rock and roll for you next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, many on the text line have gotten the answer right. Jordan Goodwin putting together a nice little career, especially this year with the Washington Wizards. And uh, 
with uh, Bradley Beal being there. It's nice to have uh, another St. Louis guy in the organization, although both haven't always been available together this year. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I, it's, it's, I'm loving what we're seeing from Jordan Goodwin. We didn't play rock and roll there because the Open's too long. We have a very short okay. segment here. Um, I love what Jordan Goodwin's doing, by the way. He's playing about 23 minutes per game. He's averaging 8 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. And this is what I'm really liking right now. His shooting line, 50% from the field, 45% from 3. He does still have the problem, just seventy five percent from the chair or seventy percent from the charity strike right now. But I mean, when you talk about those numbers for a guy like that, last night they're playing the Brooklyn Nets. Cookies strips Kevin Durant and goes the other way for for a layup. He also tied. I can't believe this is actually this is crazy too. He tied a Washington Wizards record with five steals and double digit points. And of course, who did he tie in Washington Wizards history? Who? Larry Hughes, oh, <laughs> the only on. other Washington Wizard to have double-digit, uh, double-digit scoring game and five f- plus steals in one game. Something about, those Saint, something about those St. Louis, <laughs> you, yep. something about those St. Louis guards getting into Washington and showing their defensive prowess. Carry that was uncalled for. I was, I was yeah. I'm happy for Jordan. I'm happy for Jordan Goodwin though. He continues to play. And again, this isn't just some spot star and a bad team. He continue. They're they're they're. Having a downturn here, but the Wizards are better than everyone thought they were going to be, and he's getting legitimate minutes. This guy's going to carve out a solid seven, eight year yep. NBA career. I'll be, I'll be shocked if he doesn't. And if he doesn't, I feel sorry for whatever poor Italian guard is going to have to try to play against him because he's just going to murderize some and European league if he doesn't make it in the NBA. Beal has missed 10 games this season, including most of the last five, four plus about 40, 57 minutes. Of another one, but you get those two together playing together. That's a uh, nice St. Louis team you got there. I just, I, I never would have thought when we were watching him at Chaffetz that we that, that in his, just his second year from in, in the pros, he'd be stripping Kevin Durant and going the other way for a layup. Yeah. I knew, I knew he'd eventually make it to the NBA, but to, for him already doing it now, you know, at 23, 24 years old, I, I love what we're seeing from him. And uh, you know, go Bills. Ryan Walters, the new head coach at Purdue, the oh, defensive coordinator from Illinois, really? Purdue grad. Yep, former Mizzou defensive coordinator, mm. and as Dave Matter uh, tweets moments ago, former Mizzou defensive coordinator is doing well these days. Matt Eberflus, head coach of the Bears, Barry Odom, UNLV head coach, Ryan Walters, the Purdue head coach, and Steve Wilkes, the the Panthers interim head coach. So maybe, maybe good maybe for him joining a solid Big Ten program. One of them. Yeah. Hey, hey, I see what you did <laughs> wow. there. Wow. I see what you did unnecessary, there. Completely Very unnecessary, unnecessary, right? Yeah. But I, I can respect it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Coming up, it's a balloon party with T Mac and Ajax here on 101 ESPN. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. CD? My man. <laughs> and for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. 
So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen, and galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at gravitationally bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details.